I have notes. Good morning, sports fans. Fill up that coffee cup and that bowl. Sit back and relax. Because live from Colorado, it's time for the Sports Offensive. Good morning out there in Radioland, and thank you for tuning in to the Sports Offensive. I know we've been off for a little bit. Uh, Life gets in the way sometimes. I myself have just finished the January from hell uh, work-wise. I mean, don't get me wrong. Everything that came out of it was good. It was just a lot of travel, a lot of moving. Uh, We had the holidays. We had Thanksgiving. We had Christmas. We had New Year's. Uh, you just know how life can get can get away from you. So, uh, but we're so happy to be with you guys here today. Uh, exciting pre uh, Super Bowl show. We have a very special interview guest. We have Marcus Curry on with us, who played with Navy and Texas State. We're also going to, of course, kind of cover the Kobe Bryant uh, insanity that has gone on since his untimely death. Uh, we're going to preview the upcoming Super Bowl, which I, I don't know about you, JP, but to me. This one, even though I cannot stand the Kansas City Chiefs just on principle because I'm a Broncos fan, uh, this looks like an amazing Super Bowl, don't you think? I mean, shouldn't we just get a great battle? Yeah, I'm actually really excited for this. Uh, A lot of times um, I get a little disinterested in the Super Bowl with some of the teams. Uh, You know, my Eagles, you know, two years ago with the Patriots three-year run in the Super Bowl, my Eagles are the only team that beat the Patriots. So (laughs) I'm very proud about that. But it's good to see the Patriots not in it. Um, Andy Reid, of course, I know I'm a Broncos fan second, Eagles fan first, so I am rooting for the Chiefs and Andy Reid, unfortunately, uh, but I think we have a great matchup here between the 49ers defense and both offenses, actually both defenses too. Well, you know, one thing that I don't think a lot of people realize, and I heard this actually on the radio myself, uh, the Niners scored more points than the Chiefs and their defense allowed less points than the Chiefs, yes. so technically the Niners should be the favorite, and I think they are the favorite by one or two points. It depends like on where you look. Um, I think the, the last thing I saw last night, I uh, was watching uh, the Lakers. Um, the Chiefs, were, it, w- it was a pick on Wednesday, if I remember right. I think the Chiefs were favored by one last night on one of the books. I think the, uh, the Niners might have been favored on one on another one of the books that I saw. So it's basically a pick'em game is really what it's boiling down to is what all the sportscasters have been talking about all week. Yeah, and I I I I just want a good game. You yeah. know, I, I just I don't want I hate blowouts and as much as a, a good defensive game, of course, is just as as proper as a good offensive right. game. Right. In the Super Bowl, I want offense. Well, uh, we, we I don't saw know if we'll that. Get that, but uh, but you would think we will. We saw that last year with uh, with the Rams and the Patriots. You know, it was the master and Bill Belichick out scheming. Um, Sean McVay. Sean McVay. Sorry, I was gonna. I almost had the hiccup there. <laughs> so you know, basically just down scheming the you know the young phenom coach there, um, yep, and just yep. shutting him down. And the Patriots didn't really have to do much in that game to to win that game. So well, and you almost got the feeling that the Patriots could have scored at an earlier point if they had wanted to. Yeah, they just decided. You know what? This is the game. This is how we can win this game. We can keep uh, you know uh, Todd Gurley from uh, from taking the game. Uh, taking yeah. the game over, even though uh, he wasn't playing a ton. And uh, C.J. Uh, Anderson, of course, had played really well, yeah. um, you know, leading up into that. Uh, I don't think any of us still quite understand what has happened with Gurley. It's, uh, it's a little confusing, especially from a fantasy uh, perspective. It, it, it is. It is. You know, and, you know, uh, I actually picked up Todd at, at pick number, what did I have, seven? 
And, uh, you yeah, know, had, I think it was. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, in hindsight, there was other backs out there that uh, who would, you know, Derrick Henry was always the late season running back that you never wanted early in your in, in the season. And now and he might be the number one pick next year, for God's sake. You know, I got him and uh, and uh, people gave me a lot of uh, people mocked me a lot for taking him. But, uh, you know, he did fantastic for me and I, I couldn't have been happier. But, uh, you know, the, my other picks were, were not so good. You know, I, <laughs> I, big I liked my team. The only part was Drew Brees got hurt early. Um, and I, I was only two and something to start. I ended on a five game win streak, including the playoffs. Nice. Very <laughs> so, nice. I'm still, I'm still so steamed that I lost the playoffs at the last second because Tyler Lockett couldn't score me a single point in that game. Yeah. But then I would have gotten just demolished the following week based on the score. So it's like, oh, yeah. it didn't matter. So, um, the other thing that we're going to look at here, we're going to, we want to take a look at some of the upcoming draft picks coming out of college here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, then we also want to just do a real quick, since we've got Marcus uh, on the show, wanted to do a quick. Uh, maybe preview of college football for 2020 uh, or 2020, 2021, I guess you would say. Uh, but it'd be nice to get his perspective uh, being knee deep in, in the college experience uh, of playing, which, uh, you know, uh, I almost, almost got uh, uh, a scholarship to play in uh, for Notre Dame. But then they looked at my game film and said, wait a minute, you didn't even play. And I went, well, you know, that doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> I, I can still, I can be Rudy for you. You know, I can be, you can, on the- you can be Rudy or someone, someone can pay or a, uh- Pay pay your way in and ride some balls. I can, I can deflate those balls for you, <laughs> yeah. you know. So, uh, so anyway, uh, JP, why don't you uh, let everybody know our sports offensive trivia question for the week? Yeah, now this is an interesting trivia question because we're going to mix a little sports and uh, kind of pop culture here. So, eight of the top ten American TV broadcasts of all time have been Super Bowls. Can you name the other two? And you know, I saw this question last night. Uh, when I was looking at the notes. And so I've, I've spent some time thinking about it. Um, obviously, I won't put out any guesses yet until, right. until we hit the halfway Top point of the, of the show. But uh, I think I know one. Okay. Um, but I've actually got three guesses. Okay. And I, I'm hoping I get at least one uh, with my three guesses. There might be some controversy on the answer to this because oh, no. I, I heard <laughs> – I, I looked this I, – where I, the source I looked this up on was current. Because it had it had last year's Super Bowl in there, ah. there might be a little controversy on the one. I'm not sure. Okay, well, be- because uh, the, another source said it was nine out of ten Super Bowls. I ha- I got when I looked at it. I think they might have been wrong because when I well, looked it up, if, I got eight out of ten. If not, we'll say eight out of the top eleven, and that yeah. way, or nine out of the top eleven, and that way, yeah, we nine out of the top our, we'll still have our two here. Um, by the way, if you are listening out there, you can do us a huge favor if you go to Facebook and like us or follow us on Instagram. Uh, excuse me, follow us on Twitter. Uh, both are at the handle at the SPT Offensive. You can find us on Instagram under the handle the Sports Offensive with underscores between the words. You can also head to our station website at thesportsoffensive.com. There you can learn about us and our shows, including the Alien Offensive and War Drummer Ways, and listen to current and prior episodes again at thesportsoffensive.com. Check us out on demand at blog talk radio tune in iheart stitcher and as an itunes podcast and we love callers in so feel free to contact us at 929-477-3204 again 929-477-3204 and as we mentioned at the start of the broadcast we have a very special interview guest today we have marcus curry who played for uh, hebron high school as well as navy and texas state and college uh who got a degree in economics which i like that because i actually got my degree in economics and if i had known that I'd, i would have chatted about that uh, a little bit more when uh, when i had the pleasure of meeting marcus but i want to go ahead and bring him on uh, marcus are you able to hear us out there in uh, texas land 
Yes, sir. How's it going, Mark? How's it going, JP? I'm good, Marcus. Man, welcome to the show. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, uh, Marcus, like I said, I didn't realize your degree was in economics. I wish I had known that. Uh, We could have had some interesting discussions out uh, out when we met in uh, New Jersey. And uh, you know, uh, I've I've had to do a a lot of business trips the last like few months, and uh, I just been busy. Yeah, it's it's brutal. I mean, it's like getting to that point where it's like, okay, it's time to start paying me more since I'm on the road all the time. And uh, this morning, I'm feeling a little bit under the weather. I I hope I didn't pick up the coronavirus. I was going to say, do I need a mask here? Do I, just, I put a mask over you, my head? You are, you are at your own risk <laughs> being inside the facility here. I, I won't lie. Um, but I wanted to share with you guys two things that were that were kind of interesting. The first one is the dream I had last night. Uh oh. Um, and I've had Uh-oh. a variation of this dream five or six times in Sorry, the last. Hold on, let me, Marcus. This isn't really a. We, we are uh, we are not controlled by the FCC, so we can pretty much say whatever <laughs> you want. So when Mark leads <laughs> off with 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 a statement like that, you may never not know what's coming. <laughs> so she had three tits and four legs. Oh wait, 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 wait! wait. Oh, no. That's the wrong, wrong story. Wrong, wrong dream. Wrong story. Um, so uh, uh, right, right. <laughs> I. Uh, I've had this weird recurring dream and like, it's not a lot of recurring. I don't remember my dreams often, but it's in one of my old houses. This one is the one that I lived in in Tiffany lane uh, with uh, when I was in high school and I was sleeping up in my upstairs bedroom and I kept getting woken up by noises and I'd get freaked out. But then I would realize it was my cat, right? Which I didn't even have my cat back then, but <laughs> I it was, you know, playing yeah. with the little ball with the little bell in it and stuff. Uh, but mm-hmm. then I woke up for real. And when I woke up for real, it was because I heard a knock on the door. And like I said, this has happened like four or five or six times, so I know it's not real. So this time I didn't actually get up and check the door. But, of course, my first thought is, you know, the cops finally found me. They finally figured out where I am and what I'm doing. And, you know, then you're like, oh, wait a minute. I forget. I'm so boring. I don't do anything. So, you know, it's not like, you know, I don't have any contraband really. So, um, but anyway, it's just so weird because I've had that, like I said, four or five times, literally thought I was awakened by the knock on the door, like a heavy knock on the door. And so I'm trying to figure out what that is. And I know cats kind of have a connection to the underworld and everything. So I don't know if maybe, you know, he's tapping into my dreams or something like that. But when I woke up, Gizmo was in his bed and he was conked out. Like, you know, he was snoring. So it wasn't him. So um, just weird. Anyway, um, the other thing I wanted to tell you guys, so, you know, I was in Savannah for a national sales meeting and I got to say Savannah, Georgia. Now, I feel like you get some preconceived notions about certain places based on when you grow up and what mm-hmm. people think. Like before I moved right. to Colorado, I lived in California and everybody is like, Oh, it's, it's freezing. It snows all the time. It's just snow nonstop. Da, 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 da. It's like, uh, no, actually Colorado is second sunniest state in the union. 300 sunny days a year, yeah. 60 degrees today, 70 degrees tomorrow. I mean, this and is snow on Monday and, then, and, and, yeah, and then it's zero Ooh. degrees low on Tuesday. So, you know, we get it all, but but, you know, it kind of goes back and forth, right? And then, like, I also I had, like, a preconceived notion of New Jersey, right? Because you just thought of the Sopranos. And so I'm thinking it's all kind of dirty and dingy and sketchy and da-da-da-da. Dude, New Jersey is, like, the most beautiful state in the world. I mean, it's just gorgeous. I mean, it is lush, green. Right. There are forests coming right up to the highway roads. I mean, never would have known. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I knew nothing about Wawa until, you know, JP here is from Philadelphia or from Pennsylvania. Uh, he had told me about Wawa. I finally got a sandwich from there during the meeting and, and I was really excited, although the soup was better than the sandwich. Um, but you guys have all told me that the sandwiches are not what they were uh, when you were young. Right, right. It's, they, it's, it's, it's gone a, a lot of more 
uh, corporate and but yeah. it's still you get a fresh made sandwich you get it's it's just a, a really nice like a, it's a subway with a gas station and a convenience shop i i would put them above subway i would too <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, uh, I, I, not above yeah, yeah, yeah. right but uh but you know but i could totally see if you're driving home from work and it's like i don't want to cook tonight i I would not, never have a problem stopping oh, at a Wawa's and grabbing a stupid sandwich for eight trust nine me. bucks. Two a.m. when the bars close, ah. dude, a Wawa ah. sandwich ah. is the way to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my oh, oh, used to talk about it a lot. Right, and the scariest part is, you know, you have to drive there, so it's like I hope you can walk to that to that one. And well, that's why you always have a. D- you know, back in the day, you had a DD. Right, right. Now you just Uber, which is now which you just Uber it up. Uh, even though Uber's starting to get kind of expensive, but uh, still still cheaper than a taxi. Um, but anyway, uh, again, I went to Savannah, and uh, actually my old boss from my last job, he grew up in Savannah, and uh, he was all excited when he found out that I went there, wanted to kind of hear what I thought of the place and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, you have this preconceived notion of the South, right? Like the South, it's like, oh, they're really racist, and they're really backwards, and da 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 da, da all these kind of, you know, especially from California, you have yeah. a lot of negative yeah. connotations of the South. Man, all I can mm-hmm. tell you is, Number one, the food was unbelievable. I mean, the cornbread. Oh, Oh, Marcus, melt in your mouth, man. I mean, I had a jambalaya that I just, I was, my parents were never about like, you have to clear your plate when I was a kid. They were like, you eat, you know, just eat till Mm -hmm. you're full. We don't, you don't need to clean the plate, even though, you know, I know a lot of, a lot of parents do that. But I mean, there was, I mean, I was scooping out the the remainders of the jambalaya sauce after I was finished eating it. It was so good. Um, we went to Vicks on the river. We went to Huey's. I went to this candy store and I sent you a picture of it. I think JP, um, it was graham crackers covered in chocolate. Yeah, you did. And I mean, dude, the, you walk into the candy store, you got diabetes just from smelling it, but it was, <laughs> it was worth, it was worth every calorie, man. I mean, it was so good. I know you wanted me to bring you one home. <laughs> I, like I told you then, not one of these is, there's, there's very few things in life you can say for certain, but what I could say for certain was every one of those was going to get eaten oh, that yeah. night. And yeah. it did. Um, there's no chance of survival. <laughs> right. Um, Went to go went golfing out there. Um, Very nice. You know the uh, the fairways and the greens were gorgeous. Fairways uh, or the, excuse me, the greens were faster than the ones in Hawaii. And in Hawaii, it, if you ever have golfed there, uh, the, it's it's fast to the water and slow away from the water on yep. the greens. But it's super fast going towards the water. I mean, like it'll just shoot along the green. And it's the exact same way in Savannah. But of course, you are close to the ocean there. Yeah. Um, we were more of an inlet than the actual ocean itself, but still, I mean, it is the salt water. Um, but great golf, even though the, the, the rough was dead, like dead, dead, like kind of Colorado dry dead. Yeah. Um, which surprised me because I thought that they would have, um, had a lot of water there, but then I know they've, they had a cold, they, they've had some cold snaps. Yeah. So if you're not, I think if the grass, like Kentucky bluegrass isn't used to that, yeah. uh, it'll, it'll just drop. Yeah. Like Kentucky quick. bluegrass doesn't react to the cold very well. So, and then the other thing I was going to tell you guys is uh, we actually had uh, his first name. Uh, sorry. Well, I can't remember what his first name is. He blocked for the Patriots. He was an offensive lineman. He's all pro. Um, I think he's, I think he, I don't know if he's hall of fame, but I think he's, he's close kind of like that area. Uh, last name is Holloway. Uh, his son, David, plays defense for the Cardinals. Yep. Uh, he was the inspirational speaker okay. that we had. Fantastic speaker, man. I mean, I really I really took a lot out of what he talked about, about kind of the, especially in sales, right, the perception of, 
you can't ever have the perception of this isn't going to work or this is going to fail. Like you have to go in just like you should probably do everything in life. You should go in saying, I'm going to be successful period. Um, (laughs) We're watching my cat trying to take out JP's computer here. Um, And, uh, but it was a, it was a great speech. Uh, They gave us a football and uh, wouldn't you know it, the thing was filled to the brim. I had to slightly deflate it Patriot style so I could get it in my bag and not explode. Deflate Gate, Colorado. Uh oh. I didn't want it to explode on the way home. Right. Uh, right. But it's a, a gorgeous full size NFL football. I mean, you really, you really realize that the football's a lot bigger than the ones that you usually kind of play oh, yeah. when you're playing out in the field with your buddies. It's, it's, it's a big, big ball. And uh, not only that, they gave us a free set of Beats headphones. And a travel bag that has one of those chargers in it that you have to take the charger out, you know, if you, if you oh. check it. But um, yeah. I mean, I mean, I, you just figure for that meeting they must have dropped over two thousand bucks a head, or maybe even three thousand bucks a head. And uh, you know, I, I, a lot of times, you know, when your work does something for you, you're like, I would rather just have the cash. You know, why don't you just give me the money and then I'll be happy? But <laughs> right. I gotta say, you know, right? I mean, because you, you're like, man, I could do something with you know three, four thousand dollars, but. Uh, you know, it was just it, it, it was it was a great experience. And Savannah, thank you. Uh, I will tell anyone who ever asks that you're you are well worth a vacation, especially if you want to unplug, unwind, see some gorgeous architecture. They have a bridge there that's just spectacular. I don't even know how to describe it. Look up the bridge in Savannah, Georgia. It's like a suspension bridge, but a really cool design. The architecture, like I said, it all looks really cool. The people are so friendly and so conversational. I mean, you're walking down the street, and any person you look at, they will give you a smile and a hello. And, you know, for those of us that are from the north and the west, we're not really that used to that. You kind of are almost suspicious yeah. when someone does that. But by day three, I was like, no, they're just, they're just sweet people. And, uh, and uh, so I, I really, really enjoyed it. And I love going to a culture that I don't know uh, because you can get so pleasantly surprised. And, and that's definitely how I felt. So um, sorry for kind of taking over the, the, the show there for a moment. I just uh, wanted to share that with everyone. I thought, uh, you know, I think I, I'm, kind of, I'm, I'm interesting enough, you know, to, uh, to sidestep sports a little bit. But, of course, let's get to why. <laughs> why we are all here. So, Marcus, just to give everybody a little bit of a bio on you. So, you were born March thirtieth, nineteen eighty nine. You're a young pup. Uh, this guy, this guy hasn't seen what we've seen, JP. This guy exactly. Hasn't, I don't even know if this guy got to see Jordan in his prime. You know, <laughs> um, actually, yeah. I mean, well, maybe maybe when you were really young, you got to see you got to see his prime. Um, but yeah. uh, played again, like we said, for Hebron High School, Navy, and Texas State and College. Uh, degree in economics, which again, that's what I've got as well. And uh, it's not useful for anything, but it's a really fun discipline to learn. Um, <laughs> also learned that. Hey, way to talk it up there, Mark. Right, right. I'm like, thanks right, right. to you for that. Thanks for that piece of paper that cost me, you know, 60 grand and uh, doesn't make me 50. But, you know, it's all good in the hood. Uh, but anyway, uh, uh, so, Marcus, let's start off. Uh, So some of the stats that we have for you with Hebron High School were that you lettered in both football and baseball. You were first team all district running back, second team all district cornerback. So I'm assuming that means you were playing. Is it called suicide? I forget what that's called. We play both ends of the ball. Um, Yeah, definitely. uh, Just everybody in Texas. That's how it is. Just because uh, they just always want their best athletes on the field. I'm pretty sure it's like that around the country as well. But, like, Texas, like, if you're not playing both sides of the ball, then you're not considered as one of those guys that needs to always be on the field. So, I was fortunate. Um, Now, honestly, I started off 
Because my high school was very, very, very competitive. So, as you know, I did play uh, football and baseball in high school. I was also actually in the band as well, too. So I was, like, managing all that while being able to make sure I had a good grade point average to get into college. <laughs> um, right. But uh, but since football was just so competitive, like, I got overlooked a lot, probably from my freshman year all the way up, really through senior year as well, too. So junior year, I had to make a decision on if I should stay playing baseball, stay doing band, because I was in the drum line, uh, and then also continue to pursue football. But I just kind of had to make a business decision early on just because I was just seeing the college coaches that were coming and recruiting guys from my high school that were older than me. Um, they were getting scholarships, going to Oklahoma State, going to uh, Arizona, getting offers from USC, getting offers from Florida State, um, going to play at OU um, with Adrian Peterson and just seeing those guys at that high level um, and then having a chance to compete at the highest level going to the NFL. I just felt like, man, football seems to be the way to go. Um, compared to baseball, I really like baseball. It's probably a little bit more. It's probably like my first love as a sport. But there just weren't that many college coaches coming to our high school for baseball. Um, and then especially MLB scouts. The only time uh, the scouts or the coaches would come would be to recruit the opposing teammate. <laughs> like I remember, uh, <laughs> right. I remember. I think I was a, I think I was a sophomore uh, in high school, and we played against Denton Ryan. And didn't Ryan, they had this guy named Austin Jackson. And I remember the Yankees were there. Like, basically all 32 MLB teams were there. there about 30 colleges were there. It was, it was probably packed just in scouts alone rather than people actually coming to actually watch the game. And um, he also played basketball as well, too. I think he ended up getting drafted first round by the Yankees uh, coming out that year. And I saw he made a few all-star games, so it's pretty cool to see him still uh, doing his thing. But, yeah, it was just uh, so competitive coming out of high school. So, I was like, man, which one do I feel like I have a better shot at going to the next level? Um, and just with the opportunities of colleges coming through, I was like, man, if I just do well in football, put on my uh, eggs in this basket, uh, for lack of better words, and just grind as hard as I possibly can, something could turn out. Um, now, I really believe that uh, there's divine intervention. I do believe in God uh, because literally, um, obviously you guys know that I ended up going to Navy. Um Hopefully I don't speak too much and then kill the next question. <laughs> but um, <basically laughs> no worries, man. I was overlooked. Yes, yeah, so basically since I was overlooked um, in high school, um, I started off this corner just to get on the field um, and was doing really well at corner. And then I finally got my chance at varsity running back the seventh game of my senior year. Um, so I had to pretty much wait my turn. But instead of just, like, complaining and soaking and just being on the sideline, like, I'm never going to get a scholarship. Nobody's going to look at me. I just did everything I could. To, <laughs> I did everything I could to just make an impact for my team. So I stood out at corner, um, obviously enough for teams to really pay a lot of attention to me, um, as far as at least on the high school level. And then that seventh game we played against, uh, I think it was Coppell High School, and it just so happened to be the district championship at the game. They were 7-0. We were, uh, I think, 6-1, and but undefeated in district. And then um, I went off and had, like, over 200 yards and all three touchdowns. Um, and it really just not only solidified us to win that game, but it just so happened that uh, one of the scouts for Navy, kind of like what I was talking about with Austin Jackson, <laughs> uh, they were actually scouting another guy on my team. He had already committed to go there. Um, and then since that was my first start, they were like, whoa, who is this running back? We haven't seen him yet. <laughs> and then the rest is history. So it's pretty kind of crazy how things turn out. <laughs> well, so tell me this. So 
um, I, two questions I wanted to ask you. One, um, mm-hmm. did you enjoy being a running back? Or I sorry, my cat just. I'm gonna just shut him out of the room. You got muted. <laughs> like I'm done. I'm done listening to you. Um, so right. first question is, do you did you enjoy playing running back or cornerback better? And then excuse me. And then number two, um, uh, in terms of like you said, like your first love was baseball, and, and baseball will always be my first love. I love it more than football, even though I find football more exciting. Um, I yeah, like the grind of baseball. I like the I like the statistical nature of baseball, where it's not it's not about uh, the action. It's about the chess match. It's about the uh, putting yourself in position, which is kind of what you were talking about. Um, and how you try to like you know pick a sport and pick a, a direction to go because you know there there it is it is hard to make it to the next level let alone to the professional level and even though right. in baseball there are so many more players drafted I mean there's I mean how many minor league teams are there right I mean we're about to go through some contraction too right. I know you've been reading about that yeah. that's a story for another day right. yeah we're gonna we're losing a good <laughs> seven to twelve uh, twelve yeah. teams or more uh, in the minor leagues but you know you can make it professionally in baseball but yet spend seven, eight, ten years to get to the big leagues. And maybe you'll have success when you finally get there. Like Paul LaDuca yeah. didn't do it until he was like almost 32, I right, think. Right, right. And you can still have a nice mm-hmm. career. But in football, it's like, you know, if you make it, you know, you're going to get your chance quickly. And so I can kind of see why you would want to go that route. It's like, you know, if you're going to throw your eggs all in one basket, put it in the one that gives you a shot to do to do something, you know. And do it right off the bat. Right, right. Just get into it right. and find out what, you, what you've got. But uh, yeah, so what is your favorite between running back and corner or and cornerback? And then I guess with the the question I had with baseball was if you had gotten if you had gone baseball, was there a school you would have loved to have played and, for? And I, I'm sorry if I didn't hear, but what position did you play in baseball? Yeah, in baseball, um, I played second base. I played outfield. Played shortstop. I pitched a little bit, um, so pretty much all of the above. But I predominantly <laughs> played second base and center field. Those are like my main two. Nice. Um, like and like, like Cody the Taylor. Part of the question. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, my favorite player uh, growing up at that time was Alfonso Soriano. Um, so oh. he was like a huge, especially when he played for the Rangers for a little while, you know, for Dallas. Mm-hmm. So being able to see him just do his thing, and then he went on to go to the Yankees just like everybody else. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> but it was just it was just cool to see him uh, his time in Texas, uh, and that really made me just a fan of just second base because growing up. Uh, Tim Griffey was my hero, and you know he played center field. The kid, you know, um, so oh, uh, just mm-hmm. him, yeah, we we certainly saw him play. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, right. So with him being out there in center field, being a legend, I was like, man, I want to be just like Ken Griffey. And then as I grew up, went into like middle school, high school, that and that's when I started being introduced to Alfonso Soriano, and I was like, man, who's the guy that's fast? He can hit home runs. He gets RBIs. He might strike out a few times, but he's making all these double plays and throwing people out from the outfield at second base from the relay and things of that nature. And I was like, who is this number 12 guy? And then I looked him up, and I was like, man, I feel like I can play my game just like that, if not better. <laughs> and yeah, I, I remember, what I remember about – what I remember about Alfonso Soriano was he had massive wrists, and they talked mm-hmm. about how those wrists allowed him to snap that bat so hard when he came yeah. through the zone that that generated a lot of power on top of the fact that he had strong legs. So, um, yeah, I mean, yeah. he was he was a tremendous player. In fact, didn't he do like 
I think he did hit thirty thirty, but he came close to forty forty or something that one I, that one well, year. I believe he did. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I definitely believe he did. And, and get back to Ken Griffey Jr. So. We've talked about this a lot. Um, we, uh, your favorite swing you've ever seen in baseball, Ken Griffey right. Jr. is my the 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 the, the be- most beautiful swing I've ever seen from a batter is Ken Griffey Jr. I mean, uh, it, it, you've seen that movie where that one kid became a pitcher. Remember, mm-hmm. and because uh, he got like that tendon in his arm or whatever, got you know. So it was just yeah. it was just a joke kind of movie, yeah. but but it was a cool little movie. But that was in the <laughs> heyday of, of Bonds and Griffey, and Griffey in that movie, they had a camera angle of basically diagonally down the first base line behind Griffey. You know, I mean, I know he's left-handed, but you know, from behind. Uh, oh, there we go. Sorry, my cat did it again. I'm gonna have to put him outside here. Um, the uh, but it had that angle where he swung and hit the ball out, and you got to just watch the ball launch from a Griffey swing from start to finish, and mm-hmm. it's just you know when you have when you you know we've all hit a home run, um, you know, or you hit a, an amazing tee shot, you know how you just you don't feel anything, and that's what it looks like when you Griffey oh, swung. Yeah. Like, and so you said your favorite, you know, was his. My favorite was Daryl Strawberry. I mean, that guy, oh, yeah. when he, I mean, it, it looked like he was swinging a toothpick. He was so big, but he would just do that nice little stride and then just whip it through. And I just remember thinking that, I mean, probably if I had grown up later, it would have been Bonds, but, uh, but that was my favorite was, uh, was his. Did you have a, a favorite swing growing up other than Alfonso? And uh, both of those guys just said it was just that sweet spot. Like, as soon as they connected, it was just out of there. He knew it was gone. Uh, my favorite swing Man, honestly, probably was Juan Gonzalez for me. Oh, yeah. Just like when Juan Gonzalez would swing, and he had that long swing, too, and it was like a golf swing in a way, but when he connected, that ball was definitely going upper deck, if not triple deck. (laughs) Right, it was scary, yeah. He was such a a clutch hitter for us, because I just remember that lineup. At one point, it was A-Rod, then it was Juan Gonzalez, then it was Rafael Primero. It was like, what? Mm-hmm. Like, what are you going to do? Hey, you remember Ruben Sierra? That, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, Ruben Sierra had that weird over-the-head kind of oh, swing thing that gosh, he was going yeah. there. And, uh, yeah. I tried that a couple of times. And I was <laughs> that one looked like a painful clip. swing. I would say my right? the, the most, the least nice-looking swing I can remember was Jeff Bagwell. Oh, boy. You know, I mean, just <laughs> oh, that yeah. crouch, Dude. man. His stance was so weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I, so again, I say, I say Gonzalez for that one for sure. Excellent. Yeah, no, good choice. I yep. mean, that guy, you know, and, and and he also had such that he had that perfect, like, super clean cut. You know, like um, I don't even know how you would describe it. Like he was a he was he was made to be a star. You know, like kind of like a Rod had that look. You know, yeah. he just he just looked like you're, you're like you're like there's that asshole who slept with every single girl in high school that I wanted. You know, it's the Jarek Theater. Derek Jeter gift basket on your way out the door. Here's your little swag bag. Thank you. Get a little swag bag. Thank you. Right. I'll call you an Uber. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uber's already been called for you. Don't, don't think. Don't think you're staying for breakfast. You know? um, right, right, so, right. Uh, but before we jump into our other questions for you, uh, sorry, but go back to the. Uh, so, running back or cornerback? What did you have a preference yeah, between those um, two? So yeah, definitely running back for sure. Um, my favorite player growing up football-wise was Barry Sanders. Like, I tried to model yeah. my game just like Barry, just from the fact that he was a class act both on and off the field. And then you could see it. Like, he would score a touchdown. And he, at that time, everybody was doing, like, 
dances once they score or they're trying to gloat or they're trying to throw the ball at the football team or you can at Dion, he's high-stepping as he's watching the <laughs> opposing team going into the end zone. It was all that era. Um, and then for Dion, uh, for Barry, to every time he scores, he might have shook 10 out of the 11 players on the field, ran 90 yards, but then he just hands the ball to the ref and goes right back to the sideline like it's another yep. day at the office. And I was yep. just like, man, like, that's how I want to do it. <laughs> that's, um, that's, 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 a, that's, a, that's a good person to pick because, you know, Deion Sanders right. would be high-stepping from the 50-yard line right. if he picked yeah. it off. Yeah, I, mean, I think in the end it's like, you know what, when you know you're that good, that much better than everyone else on the field. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to think, I mean, every one of these guys on the NFL defense is, you know, a top-100 player, you know, in all of right. all of the world, you know, and, and the fact that that mm-hmm. Barry – I always thought Barry it was such a shame he retired because with how few hits he took, I mean that guy just yeah. never got touched. It was weird. It was like, and when he did get tackled, it never looked painful. It looked like they barely just kind of exactly. like he was able to like just yep. glide into the tackle. Oh yeah. And, and I thought, man, he could have played until he was like thirty-five, thirty-eight, forty. But just shame that he he didn't want to. I don't. Well, I, I mean, I, I know there was a rumor that he didn't want to overtake sweetness. And that was his, that, that was his the idol. rumor was around there, and uh, there was the, the other rumor was is Detroit just wasn't very good. Well, well, that's yeah. not a rumor. Well, I know it's <laughs> we not, know not a rumor. <laughs> not a rumor, true. but uh, they just weren't good, and, and he was stuck on a bad team. And I don't think he wanted. He wasn't one of those players that wanted to jump ship. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, absolutely. I, my knowledge of it was is he did want to leave. It was just the Lions didn't want to trade him. And right. I remember he sat down with the GM. He even sat down with the owner and was like, man, like, I'm not really feeling the love for the game anymore. Um, I really would like to go somewhere else. I have a chance for a Super Bowl. And the Lions were like, look, you're our moneymaker. You're our LeBron James. We're not trading you. So if the only way you're going to stop playing is retiring, then that's just the only way you got because we're not going to let you go for nothing. And then, yeah, so he just packed it in. I mean, I was super salty because I think I was only like 10 years old. Uh, when he retired, and I was like, what? He's like, he retired? Like, no, who am I going to watch now? Coming, I was in Dallas, so you had Emmitt Smith, but I feel like Emmitt Smith was a really great running back, but he was more so a product of the offensive line, a product of right. the offense that he had and the team. Like, if you were to put Barry in Emmitt's position, he probably would have had, like, 20,000 yards. Like, who knows? Like, oh, he yeah. just I... put that number so far, like, in existence, you wouldn't even make it real. For somebody even get close to it, but um, Barry, so when he Barry could have hit the, could have hit the two thousand yard mark, I think, two or three times. Had he been playing behind that probably line with Aikman as QB, probably every yeah. season, because like, uh, wouldn't get touched till like seven, eight yards down the line. You do that right, to oh, Barry, yeah. and all he, you do that to Barry, and all he has to do is just make the safety miss. Oh, that's touchdown seventy He's yards every play. Yep. Yep, it's kind of like when you watch uh, Zeke Elliott, you know, like um, that, especially those first two years he was there that you know, at Dallas had those two guys absolutely in their primes. Uh, that was amazing. Right. I mean, he, like you said, he wouldn't get touched until he was in second level. And yeah. that's so different from a lot of these guys and, and who the are hitting is, the backfield. Once you get to the second level, you're already running downhill because you've got a head of steam built right. right? Right. Right. And you're gone. And especially if it's Barry, if he has time to, to make a shifty move because he sees you coming and he's just going to cut or he's going to, you know, go sideways or whatever the amazing things he did, you know, he'd be gone. Yeah. yeah Barry, Barry right. Sanders, graduate uh, alumni of Oklahoma State, who has a Heisman hopeful running back coming up here. And a Chubba, uh, uh, Hubert um, coming out, uh, Canadian running back. Oh, actually. yeah. So 
Mm-hmm. No more Canadians. Come on, we've had Fever, <laughs> we've had Brian Ad- Will, uh, Adams. You know, no more, no more. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then so, also, just uh, I like running back a little bit more, just because uh, I feel like I have a bigger contribution to the team. Because when you score a touchdown, you're putting six points on the board. Whereas if you're at corner, you might have got a pass deflection. Cool, that's a good play. But then it's another down after that. Or even if you go all the way and get an interception. Like, cool, you got the ball back for the offense, but it's not a touchdown. Unless you take it back all the way, like Deion used to do many times. Um, but <laughs> other than that, then it's only a small contribution that you're really doing to the grand scheme of things. Whereas at running back, you break it, or if you just score a one-yard touchdown, boom, that's points on the board, and it's going to help your team win a lot faster yep. than just playing defense. So that's another reason why I like running back a little more. Mm-hmm. Well, it's definitely a glory position, you know, I mean, because a cornerback, like you say, I mean, a great cornerback, if you're really a great cornerback, you're not going to have a lot of picks. You know why? Because no one's going to throw the ball over Exactly. There. And, you know, that's, that's I, I agree with Marcus. Uh, before I blew my knee out in, in high school football, I was a running back and a cornerback. And I would have chose okay. running back in a second. I would have chose running back yeah. in a second. It was just more fun. All I mean. <laughs> yep. I mean, look at Patrick Peterson. He's been, like, one of the best corners the last 10 years, and people aren't really talking about him like that. It's because nope. nobody throws his way. Nope. Even yeah. Darrell like Revis, with... when he was in his prime, like, nobody was throwing Darrell Revis' way. And if they did, he wasn't necessarily like Dion when he's going to intercept it every time, but he's going to not let the other person catch it. Like, he had a stat at one point in time where he gave up, like, no touchdowns for, like, three years or something like that. And I was oh, like, yeah. what? Like, who does that? Re- Revis Island. But, yeah, Revis oh, was, was incredible. <laughs> but you, you think about how he used to manipulate the uh, signing of contracts in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And that's where he really yeah, made his yeah. mark to me is yeah. that he was like, he good did it. Man. yeah, he did it perfect. He got the maximum money out of everybody and no one ever questioned it. That's, mm-hmm. that's tough to do. Right. That's tough to do. That's true. So, I mean, it's for crazy. Playing for. So playing in Texas now, your 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 high school won a state championship. Now I don't know that you were starting at all when that happened, but can you kind of just give us an idea in Texas? I mean, a, a state that just loves its high school football. What's that and, like? And, and let me uh, let me give you a two a second part of that question real quick, Marcus. Um, you know, I, the, the the movie we all know Texas. I, growing up as as a fan, we all know how big football is in Texas. You know, Friday Night Lights, uh, Odessa Perryman, Dallas Carter. Um, what uh, what class of football did your high school play? So growing up uh, from my freshman year all the way through junior year, we were in class four A, and then okay. we were a new high school, new area in Carrollton, Texas. And then my senior year, we bumped up to 5A. So when we won uh, the state, okay. we won the state at 4A. And it was pretty crazy for me because uh, I actually started that year that we won the state. I actually started on scout team. And then so I worked my way from scout team running back, not because I wasn't good. Like I was saying, I just got really overlooked. There was a lot of talent at my school. Uh, the guy ahead of me, his name was Dad Robinson. He was like a U.S. Army All-American. And he was getting offers for basically every school in the country. He committed to UT, and then I think he ended up transferring to uh, Arizona um, only because of, uh, I guess, personal reasons or whatnot. His dad played at UT. He was a running back there. So he was really good. Um, so he got a lot of uh, attention. And we had another guy named Stephen Harris. He ended up going to Texas Tech. So both of those two guys were, like, highly recruited. Um, and so it was just really hard to – I wouldn't necessarily say beat them out, but – with them in front of you, I mean, you got a U.S. Army All-American. You know he's going to get the ball. And then before him, 
Uh, there was a guy named Tim Ball. He was, like, the first guy to get a scholarship from a high school at running back. I think he went to go on to Duke University um, before Duke was, like, really good. But uh, <laughs> still, he got a scholarship, you know. Um, and then so those two guys in front were – they just kind of paved the way. Uh, so I actually started off on scout team that year, and I worked my way from scout team all the way up to being able to play running back in the state game. Um, so it was a pretty crazy journey uh, that I had that year. But um, uh, I guess – I forgot the second part of that question. My bad. <laughs> well, I think maybe I did too. What was the uh, <laughs> other thing that you said on that? <laughs> just the, the, I think what you started off with is just, uh, you know, the, the hype around Texas state football. Okay. Or yeah. Texas high school like state football. High school football. So, yeah, I mean, um, it's, uh, it's true. Like what they say, football in Texas is religion. Like <laughs> Sunday is football. For sure. Actually, in Texas, Friday, or actually Thursday, if you go with JV, Thursday through Sunday is nothing about football. Um, it's all about it. Everybody breathes it. The schools talk about it. Like, you wear your jerseys uh, all day, pretty much Thursday and Friday, just because of the support. And everybody comes out from the whole city. Um, and then, so in high school, if you make a play, uh, even though Carrollton at the time wasn't as big as it is now, but if you made a play, like, the whole town would know about it. And it was pretty crazy because there was, like, five or six high schools just in Carrollton alone. So just imagine if we just had, like, uh, I'm not sure if you guys heard of South Lake Carroll or Allen or um, Cedar Hill. I've heard of Allen, definitely. Okay. So before Allen was South Lake, and South Lake, they were the powerhouse of the Dallas-Fort uh, Worth Metroplex. And they had guys, that's where Chase Daniel um I think he's back up for the Bears now, and he was back up yep. for Drew Brees with the Saints for many years. Um, mm-hmm. He started this crazy reign, so pretty much from like uh, what was it, like '01 with Greg McElroy. I think he was quarterback. He went on to play at Alabama, and then he went to play for I think it was the Jets. Um, but basically, from like '01 to about I'm gonna say 2008 or yeah, 2008, Southlake had a crazy run, and then pretty much from like '09. Till now, Allen's just taking over and just be going crazy. Um, so, if we had just like one high school in Carrollton, kind of what I was leading to, we definitely would have won more state championships. And so in uh, 5A, uh, so we move up from 4A to 5A in my senior year, and um, just the level of competition. First game we play against a school named Cedar Hill. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys heard of them. But um, there's a school in Dallas, and they ended up actually winning state that year. Um, our first game, we were talking all this junk. We came off of winning state uh, our junior year, and then we were ranked, I think, like number four in the state at the time. So we were like, oh, yeah, we're about to go in the five. We're about to run everybody out of the water. It's going to be <laughs> easy. First game, we get beat 42 to 6 at home. Oh, <laughs> man. Uh, humble pie. <laughs> it was humble pie at its finest. It was crazy. Um, that lesson that we all learn at some point. <laughs> right, right. Um, it was a super slap in the face, mainly because we didn't lose that many games in high school. I think I lost like maybe two games or maybe three games max all of my high school career. <clears throat> And um, so we weren't used to losing. And so when we got smacked like that, it just really, like, made everybody regroup. Um, And then we went on to win the rest of our games. And then we actually got a rematch against those guys, uh, second round of the playoffs. And uh, by this time, I was starting to run it back. And then I had a pretty good game, but we ended up losing that game as well, too, man. I think it was, like, 42 to 17. They blew us out. And 
Um, they went on ahead and blew everybody else out in one state um, my senior year. Um, so it was pretty devastating. But, uh, but yeah, football in Texas, like, people live it, they breathe it. Um, and like I said, just the fact that I had to make a business decision in high school, am I going to do band, am I going to do baseball, am I going to do football, uh, I'm going to do football just because I know that football is king out here, so I have the best chance to get to the next level if I stay this route compared to if I was in, like, New Jersey or something like that or um, maybe uh, Maine then I could possibly play all those things all throughout my high school and then still be able to pursue all of them at the next level compared to Texas. It's so competitive and it's so die hard that if you don't just play football, unless you're at an opportunity where you get to do more things, um, it's going to be tough. So, yeah, this kind of just a, a slight little inside scoop on what it's like to uh, play football in Texas in high school. <laughs> That's wild. What was the uh, What instrument did you play in, uh, in band? I was in the drum line, so uh, I, I was, was going to say he had to be on the drum line. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen that? You ever seen that one movie? Um, it's got J.K. Simmons won the Academy Award for it. it it's a it's it, it's a jazz band kind of like a offshoot for the school, but this guy is the drummer, and he's like he's just an asshole of a of a conductor kind of guy. But oh. you don't know you don't know movie. No, I don't. <laughs> You're the movie critic. I, I, I think I know what you're talking about too. Great movie though. About. Yeah, it's it's Yeah, what the hell is that called? <laughs> That's gonna bug me. I'll, I'll look that up here in a minute. Um, so uh, I know you can't see it. We don't have a, we don't have a periscope up, but uh, JP <laughs> JP is re- is wearing his navy uh, lacrosse shirt. I mean, uh, JP here okay, is a dude. huge lacrosse fan. But uh, let's go ahead and transition to when you went to the Naval Academy. So you did get a full mm-hmm. scholarship, I believe. So what was that process like? Sure. Um, it was pretty, pretty intense. And like I said, it was really just a blessing just because, uh, coming out, I only got five games really at varsity running back. And then just that first game I told you about, um, against Coppell where I went over for 200 yards and three touchdowns. And then the next game I had a big game and then pretty much every game after that I had a good game. Um, so getting, so coming out, it was either between, um, Navy and Georgetown. And I had a walk-on, preferred walk-on from TCU. And so I went, took a visit to Georgetown, and it was great. Uh, but I just felt like after I took a visit to Navy, it was just <laughs> – was, there was no um, no chance of me not going to Navy just because of how, like, passionate they are about the football team and how much um, finance they have from the government, for the programs, and the type of things they have. And, they play on national TV a few times a year uh, with the Notre Dame game, the Army game, and then the bowl game, um, and then any other games that it's a really marquee matchup. Um, so it was just kind of like a no-brainer um, for me. Now, even though I did have to make that commitment to uh, enlist in the military, go through boot camp um, to be able to get there, but I just felt like um, where I would want it to go as far as playing major college football, that was going to be my opportunity to do that. Um, so yeah, like the, you said, what was it, what was it like, <clears throat> man? It was so intense. Um, but one, I'll just start off. But I'm grateful for going that route because I feel like it helped me become a man um, sooner than I guess maybe I would have if I just went a regular route. Because uh, like at 18, boom, you have to literally enlist into the military. Even before you can enlist, you have to go through a, a whole stream of qualifying. Um, steps just to even get to the part where you can enlist. You got to get an approval from the Senate, the senator of the state, and you have to sit there and uh, 
pretty much apply with him. He has to approve it. Say, okay, yeah, you're you're fit to go to the Naval Academy. I'll um, back you. I'll co-sign you. Um, and then you have to have the grades to get in. You have to have like the SAT score or the ACT score. Um, and then you just have to have obviously be able to play. Uh, but then there's so many other rigorous steps that you have to do just to even apply. And then not only getting past that, but like I said, you have to enlist. And then you don't just enlist and just think like, oh, yeah, I'm part of the Navy. Like, no, they put you through the gauntlet when you first go there. Uh, and then I started off actually at the Naval Academy prep school before I got to the Naval Academy. So I spent one year in Rhode Island, uh, Newport, Rhode Island, where it was freezing cold. Um, and it was like right there on the Atlantic Ocean. So it was definitely a rude awakening for me being in Texas where it's all nice and hot coming to uh, Rhode Island where it starts snowing in October and the snow don't stop until May. And I'm like, what is this? Like, it snows out there three, four weeks later, and it's all brown and sloshy. I'm like, what is this? Uh, Mud season, baby. (laughs) Yep, yep. Right? We we go through that in the the mountain towns. Yeah, and then the school's, like, right there on the water. So, like, they had all these geese come on and just the winds coming from, oh, man, it was brutal. It was brutal. I wasn't ready for that. Um, and then the boot camp alone was just crazy, and then having to balance that. And then Naval Academy is a top 20 academic school. So um, it was just so much going on at that time. But I'm grateful I went to the prep school. It got me acclimated to how military life is and how football life is and how I can blend the two. And then I graduated there and then went into the Naval Academy. Um, I guess it's kind of like a redshirt year, if you want to say, because they don't redshirt players. But I guess if you were to go to the prep school, that's kind of like a redshirt year. Um, and then I went into the academy um, as a freshman or a plebe, what they say, and that whole year is like boot camp. Like, you're the bottom of the totem pole. You spend three months um, in boot camp before school even starts. And then for me, it was even worse because you had to go boot camp for the first two months, and then that third month we got exempt from boot camp. But <laughs> we got exempt to what? Going to football camp. And then football camp – was so brutal that I wish I was back in boot camp. <laughs> wow! Just from how, just from how intense it was, because at Navy, like man, Coach Neil Montalolo, like he gets after it. Like you're gonna be in shape, you're gonna be able to hit. You gotta, and then we, I played running back, which you guys know. So at running back, we had to do a lot of cut blocking. Like you had to learn how to cut block, and that's just taxing on the body. It's not like regular blocking where you just sit there, hit the guy, get a good base and then you just hold them until the quarterback throws the ball until the ball carrier runs past you. Like, when you cut block, you have to literally throw your whole body into another human being running full speed at you. So whether you hit them or whether you miss, you're still going to have contact, whether it's with the guy or whether it's with the ground. <laughs> and I remember my shoulders were so beat up and, like, just, oh, man, it was a lot of craziness um, playing uh, the position at Navy. But um, it really prepared me for a lot of things just because, like I was saying, uh, you have to – my days literally would start at 4.30 a.m. because we would have um, muster at 5 a.m. And then so 5 a.m. Wait, you'd have, you'd have what? Oh, my bad. What? Uh, muster, so formation, meaning like at 5 a.m. everybody comes out of their company and then you hear what the plans are for that day, um, what military obligations okay. you have going on. Um, do you have to do any marching tours uh, where you just march around the school with your rifle? I don't know. It, it, a lot of the stuff was kind of fun. Oh, wow. Like, but if that's, if that's how they want to go about it, then I understand. Uh, it was really just to, like, mold you into what they want you to be because you're, you're training to become a naval officer. So they want to put you through the most 
gruesome training in all ways so that when you become out into the fleet and you got 18-year-olds and you got 35-year-olds and you got all these people looking up to you and their lives depending on you, you're mentally strong enough to, like, push through whatever you guys got going through and lead your platoon and lead your company and lead your battalion to wherever you guys got to go. So it's just crazy as far as, like, mental capacity that you have to learn while at the academy. Uh, but like I said, it started at, like, 5 a.m., then um, breakfast would be at 7, then I will go from class from, I think it was, like, from 8 a.m. till about 3 p.m., and then after uh, class, go to practice, or no, have to watch film, then after film, then go to practice. Practice would go from, like, I think it was 4 to about 6.30, then come out of there, have dinner at 7, then after 7 to about 8, study hall started at 9, and study hall from 9 to about 10.30, and then so I wouldn't even get back into my dorm room until about 10.30, 11, and then I was taking 18 credit hours, so <laughs> after that, that meant I had homework in every class, like, oh, man. My days wouldn't end till like, 1, 2 in the morning every single day. Like, it was just insane. It was insane. And you're back up the next day doing it all over right. again. I mean, that, that, that's right, why you do it when you're young. That same day. And then, like, um, your freshman year, you're not able to leave campus except for on Saturday after the football game and after everybody passes room inspection. So it's just – it's really intense. It's really intense that first year. Reggie, after the style. first year – right. After the first year, it's it's a lot more smoother sailings. Um, you're able to – you're not able to have a car until your senior year, um, but you're able to leave a little bit more. Things are a little bit lax. Like you don't have to always be in the uniform of the day and things like that. Things like that after your first year. But that first year, they're trying to – they're trying to break you down, man. So <laughs> they're trying to mold you into – they're trying to end your old ways of civilian life and mold you into what a naval officer is supposed to be. So uh, you have to really be prepared for that. And then to play football on top of that, and then on top of that, you're in chemistry, you're in physics, you're in calculus. Like, you're taking all these crazy courses as well, double engineering, like organic chemistry. Like, it was it was intense, but uh, I'm definitely grateful. Uh, so that was freshman year, the sophomore year um, – it was a lot different story, and um, we played against some big, big schools my sophomore year, so it was really cool. Yeah, Annapolis is uh, – I've been to Annapolis a couple different times. My parents go there all the time. They only live three hours away, and, and, and uh, um, it's, it's, I've been on campus. It's an amazing sight when you see, you know, um, the, or the midshipmen in, in formation and doing stuff around campus and so on and so forth. It really is something to, to behold. It's, it's unlike any other campus you're going to go on in a college, basically, is how I would right. put it. So, you know, Marcus, I guess mm-hmm. the next question I'm going to have for you, um, after, you know, you're in the Navy, so on and so forth, you made another business decision here uh, about getting your, you know, upping your chances to get into the NFL. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, you know, what led you to make the decision to choose another school and what schools did you look at? Yeah. Um, now you hit it right on the nail. Definitely had to make a business decision. Um, Cause like I was saying, going to the Naval Academy, you have to listen to the military and your commitment is to serve your country. And you just get an opportunity to also play uh, major college football as well. So that was my whole path. I felt like I was going to go be a Naval officer. I actually wanted to go to aviation. Um, so that have been pretty cool. But um, like I said, my sophomore year, we played against some big schools, and I was fortunate to have, like, some really big games um, that year. Like, the first game that I started 
maybe uh, was my sophomore year, we were actually in the horseshoe in Columbus going against Ohio State. Uh, I think they were ranked number six in the nation at the time. And my first game ever, <laughs> like, just being able to make plays like that. And I ended up having, like, over 100 yards and I had two touchdowns against them. And then we really almost won that game. We should have won. We lost basically because we go we went for two. And um, we ended up throwing an interception. And they took it back for two points. The and it was close, man. And then we, we kicked the onside kick and we just didn't recover it. So we ended up losing by, I think, it was like four points or something like that. But um, it was so close. And that See, game was just intense. The um, coach pulled a Pete so, Carroll. You know, if he had just given the ball to you, he, he would have gotten the two-point conversion. You would have been set, you know? Exactly. I remember I was on the sidelines on that play, and I was like, Coach, why am I on the sidelines? Like, what's going on? And then, you know, I just see that guy just taking the ball all the way back to the opposing touchdown, two points for the opposing team. Oh, like, no. Insult to injury. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, it was intense. But, um, but yeah, that year um, – had some other big games um, against La Tech uh, or Louisiana Tech. I think I went over 100 yards against them. Um, had some other games. The most notable one was probably our bowl game against Missouri. Um, they had like three or four first-round draft picks, like Sean Witherspoon and Alden Smith and Blaine yep. Gabbert. And uh, they were like some really uh, intense guys. They were really talented. Um, but they just had us – I think we were like a 30-point underdog going into that game. And then we ended up beating them boys 35-13 to 13 out here in that yeah. stadium in Houston. And um, I had over 100 yards rushing. I think I had like 100 yards receiving, and I had a touchdown. And I just felt like that game right there was my best game. Like, I felt like I arrived at college football now. And um, I just felt like since I arrived, uh, man, I just felt like I had a real shot at going to the next level. I mean, it was my dream to play in the NFL, and I knew that <laughs> – I was coming up on my commitment year because at the Naval Academy, uh, what they have is they understand that it's a real life commitment. So they'll give you your first two years, kind of test the waters. Do you like the school? Do you like being in the military? Uh, because if you do, then if you want to come back and stay at the Naval Academy, you have to sign a contract. It's called two for sevens, meaning you're going to sign a contract and then do your junior year and senior year, graduate, and a mandatory of five years of service in the military as an officer. Or you can go anywhere else, no strings attached. We're not going to charge you for those first two years that you uh, came to our school. Um, you can go anywhere else, and best of luck to you. Um, and But to incentivize people to actually go there, I think they give you like $40,000. So as a junior in college, you can sign and get forty k, boom, right then and there. Um, and then you know you're going to be locked in for at least the next seven years in the military. However, like I said, I mean, had to make a business decision. I was like, okay, cool. I can take this $40,000 and I can graduate um, from Naval Academy and I can go the route that I initially thought I was going to go. Or I had a great year this year. I know these NFL scouts know my name. If I was to transfer, then I just would increase my opportunity of making it to the NFL tenfold. Wouldn't have to wait until I'm 28 when I get out of the military to try to play running back to NFL. I can go right at 21, 22 and still have a great shot. Um, so with that thought process, I bypassed the money because uh, it wasn't for. I was like, man, I can. I feel like I'm gonna earn way more than forty thousand dollars. <laughs> so I was like, I don't want to just like <laughs> contain myself just to that. Um, and then uh, so my first school I actually looked at it was just down the street, University of Maryland. Um, mainly because I could still keep my friends that I made at Navy. It was literally only 30 minutes away, 
mm-hmm. from the Naval Academy out there in College Park, Maryland. And uh, so I called the, the coaches over at uh, Maryland, and they knew about me. Uh, so that was pretty cool. They said, oh, yeah, Marcus, yeah, you play Navy running back. You, you had a great year. And I was like, yeah, well, uh, I was looking to uh, transition out of the military into a different school. Uh, I have free uh, to do so just because of the contract situation. Um, and I like to come play at University of Maryland. And the coach was like, what, really? He didn't believe it at first. He thought it was a joke. But um, but I was like, no, I'm serious. Like, uh, I have a up to my junior year to decide, and I decide I want to go uh, elsewhere to try to pursue the NFL. He was like, Marcus, we'd love to have you. Uh, if you can get the green light from your coach, we'll give you a scholarship. You could be our running back. And I was like, wow, like, man, I get to be a Maryland Terp. Like, what? Like, they're pretty known for uh, running backs and just having a good history. And then, so I was like, I'd love to come play there. Um, so I brought it up to my coaches. Like, man, uh, they knew I was going to leave. And um, basically the head coach, he was just like, you can go anywhere except for Army and except for Maryland. I was, like, <laughs> oh. I was like, I can't go to Maryland. Why not? And then the reason why he didn't want me to go to Maryland was because Maryland played Navy the first game the following season. Right. So I guess he didn't want me to, like, give them all the inside scoop on how we run the offense, things of that nature. So uh, he didn't approve for me to go there. Um, now, I could have taken him to court and, like, appealed it and possibly right. won, but I just felt like, well, it's not that serious. I felt like I could go to NFL out of any school. I just needed an opportunity. Um, so instead of right. going to Maryland, the other options that I thought of was Wisconsin and TCU. Uh, Wisconsin mainly because uh, I had a guy uh, that I played with in high school. He was on their team. So I reached out to them, uh, talked to the coaches over there. They gave me the same spiel. They knew about me. They heard that I had a great year. They loved to have me. And at that time, um, John White, the running back that was on the Patriots uh, for a while, he was Mm -hmm. still there. Um, Melvin Gordon was there. And then um, Monty Ball was still there, too. I don't know if you guys – Oh, we know Monte here in Denver. (laughs) We drafted him. So all those guys guys were at Wisconsin when I was about to transfer there. And uh, so the coach was like, yeah, we were pretty stable at running back, but, man, we would love to have you. We feel like you'd be right there, one of our top guys, and it's going to be a competition to see who gets the running back spot. And I'm like, I grew up in competition, as you guys know. Now in Texas, like, that's all I've done was – rise from the cream of the crop. Like, I just always felt like all I needed was a chance. I was like, man, I'd love to come to Wisconsin. You guys have a historic running back history. Like, I know I go to NFL out of there. Um, they're like, all right, cool. So they offered me a scholarship, and the coaches at Navy they didn't have any opposition to it, so I was going to go there. But then they uh, told me a stipulation was if I transferred to Wisconsin, then the NCAA, if you go from major uh, – at the time it was 1A, not FBS – uh, but if you go from 1A to another 1A, then you have to sit out a year um, just for NCAA rules. And then um, so I was like, ah, I didn't necessarily want to sit out just because I had that huge game against Missouri in that bowl game. So I wanted my name to stay fresh and relevant within the scouts. So I was like, man, if I got to sit out, then, yeah, I'm not going to come there. So I turned down that offer, and then um, I reached out to TCU because they gave me a preferred walk-on um, before I went to Navy. And then another one of my high school teammates actually played there as well. So I reached out to them. They gave me the same spiel. They loved to have me. They knew about me. Uh, but I'd have to sit out a year. So I ended up turning down that offer as well. And I was like, all right, well, I can't go 1A because I want to play right away. So if I'm going to do that, then I need to just go drop down a level, go 1AA. And I believe in myself so much that it doesn't matter where I go, I'm going to make it. 
So uh, I remember the coaches at Navy, they were trying to help. They had some ties at some 1AA school, uh, schools on the East Coast. But I just felt like if I was going to go 1AA, then I might as well go back closer to family. So uh, I went, moved back to Texas, and uh, I reached out to one of my guys. and He went to school at Texas State, and um, I ended up talking to the coaches there. Same spiel, they knew about me, gave me a scholarship. This time I didn't have any stipulations on holding me back. So I was like, all right, cool, let's go, let's run it. Um, and so I went to San Marcos, only for me to tear my Achilles my first week at Texas State Ugh. and have to sit out the whole year anyways. <laughs> I know. Just, so what? what is the thought process behind I mean, So that's it, not the great case anymore, right? You can change conferences or schools now. Can't yeah, they have, the NCAA has the transfer portal now where you get in the transfer portal and you can move around and you, a little more freely than when Marcus was yeah. in school because you had to sit out that one year uh, no matter what. what was Unless the, you were a already graduated and you had a fifth year of el- eligibility, right. if I'm right, Marcus. Yeah. So, so what, yeah, was, what, was the, what was the reasoning behind the, the it was just it was just their roles. It, it was it's it's been like that forever. It's just you like know, the NCAA just seems like a lot of times the NCAA just tries to be an asshole. You can't work <laughs> and earn any money. You can't do You're this. Right? You can't do that. You pretty much hit it on the head. I mean, they had so many rules and regulations back then. And, and you, Marcus put it put it you know great. Um, you know, if you wanted to transfer, you had to sit the year. If you wanted to drop down mm-hmm. the division, you could play right away. Right, worth it. Right. I've done the same yeah. thing. So another yeah. business decision. <laughs> Right, exactly. Um, in terms of in terms of tearing your Achilles heel, what does that feel like to tear it? And then what's the rehab process? Yeah, because we, you know, KD is torn it now. Kobe torn it. Right. Uh, we see these all yeah, these Achilles right. injuries. So yeah, um, it was one. I think the most devastating for me was just because, like you guys know, that I made that whole business decision to choose to go to Texas State rather than just sitting out a whole year or just staying at Navy where I was. Um, so that was probably the biggest thing was just the emotional hurt. Like, what? <laughs> right. Um, I have to miss the whole season of football anyways, and now I'm at a 1AA school when I could have just sat out a year and still been at, at one of the major schools. But um, um, So that was probably more devastating than the actual pain itself was just the setting in of like, okay, this is real life. What are we going to do now type thing? Um, but I just rem- I can remember it like it was yesterday. It was a third and one play, and I remember um, they I was getting the ball. It was a dive, so I knew I was gonna have to hit the hole really fast because I was trying to get that first down. Um, so I remember I planted my back foot to take off really fast, and as soon as I planted my back foot, I felt like there was somebody behind me that hit me with a whip right on my Achilles, like whoosh. And then I remember I looked back. Because I felt my, um, I felt like my heel snapped. And I remember I looked back to see what was behind me. So I was like, what was that? Like, who was behind me? And I didn't see anybody, obviously. And then I turned back around. And then as I took my next step, I had no support. And I just collapsed straight to the ground. And I remember I was on the ground. And I didn't feel, like, gruesome pain. And I think it's because, like, my uh, Achilles completely ruptured. So, I didn't have any nerves <laughs> to feel pain. Oh, I just felt wow. like a burning sensation. That's all I felt was like a burning, tingling sensation, like something is not right, but I don't know what it is. Like it doesn't hurt, but it just it just burns, like, like an itch, if that makes sense. Like it itches down there. And um, I remember the trainer that got to the field, and they helped me, and they moved me to the <laughs> sideline, and like, can you move your foot? 
and um, I was trying to move my foot, and nothing was happening. And then basically uh, the trainer told me that part of my Achilles rolled up into my calf, and the hmm. other part rolled down to my heel, like by the foot. And uh, so it was completely ruptured. And then, yeah, so I ended up missing that whole season. I'm super salty about that. <laughs> um, oh. Yeah. Um, the, the trainer, he told me I'd never be the same. He was saying that this is an old person's injury. You're, you're too young to have this type of injury. <laughs> that's an old um, person injury. <laughs> yeah, that's what he was telling me at the time. Um, so he was like, uh, <laughs> seems like your 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 best days were behind you pretty much. And kind of like with how he was coming at me. So to hear this type of news, have this type of injury, and then just look back at how life could have been different just a month ago if I had just chose a different school, I was just like, man. And then you know what it's like. You're the new guy on the block coming to a new school, and you want to go out and perform well so that everybody's cool with you because if you're not making plays, it's kind of like, all right, who's this guy, you know? Um, so then I, I didn't get the opportunity to do that, so that made it even, even more tough. Um, but, yeah, it was just it was just gruesome. So it was more emotional than actual physical, I felt like. But once I got over the woe was me, I just kind of felt like, okay, I got two ways I can look at this. I can continue to soak and be like, why why is this happening to me in my life? Or I can sit here and just, like, cancel all this negativity, understand everything happens for a reason, and figure out how can I be better. And so I just went in with that second mindset. And so even though the trainer said I'd never be the same, my whole goal was to prove him wrong. And so, like, I was I was doing two rehabs a day. I'll go in there in the morning before class. I'm, like, early morning to get treatment. And then during practice, since I couldn't practice, I was getting rehab throughout that time. And then I just made a decision. I was like, okay, so after rehab ends, um, which was incredibly gruesome, those workouts, just to, like, train your other muscles around the Achilles to get it strong until it healed back up. Um, but typically after that, you would just sit out there and go to practice. Um, obviously, you couldn't practice, so you had to watch. And I was like, hmm, I can either go out here and sit on the sidelines and bake in the sun, <laughs> or, <laughs> or I can go into the weight room and eventually off season is going to come up. Since I'm done for this season, let me start preparing myself for next season so I can be bigger, stronger, and faster than everybody else just because I have that many more months to train for. Um, and then, so I just kind of took it that approach. And I just worked my butt off, man, like, I would do rehab, like I said, two times a day. Then I was lifting weights every day. Like, well, during practice, I'm in the weight room just pumping iron. And I feel like that, like, separated me from pretty much my whole competition while I was there. Because uh, my bench press went up from over that span. It went, I think I was benching, like, 250 max, maybe, by the time I went to uh, Texas State. By the time I, all that process was done, my max was 455, and they stopped me at that. Like, I could have kept going higher than that. And, like, on squat, I was at 650. Uh, I mean, I wasn't doing any of this, but it was just that determination that I was going to just come back, just going a lot harder, a lot stronger. I'm not going to let anything hold me back, no injury, nobody say I'm not going to be the same. Uh, I was just going to go extremely hard, and then I, I did so. And then, um, unfortunately for uh, the school, they ended up not having a great season that year. Uh, so the coaches got switched out. One of the new coaches was Dennis Franchoni and his staff, and it was kind of a blessing in disguise for me because he said that he wanted his starters, every 22 starter, 11 on offense, 11 on defense, everybody needs to have a 400-pound bench and a 600-pound squat. So for me, I was a lot closer to that than everybody else just because they're getting beat up all season. So come off season when it's time to test, 
I was able to hit that mark. I was able to do well in spring. I got the starting spot, and then the rest was history. Um, so it was pretty crazy for that. But like I was saying, it was a blessing in disguise because since I got hurt that year and I missed that season, I ended up getting an extra year at Texas State. And then in my last year, Texas State actually moved up to 1A. Um, I think it became it went from FCS to FBS because I think that's when the term switched from 1A to uh, FBS. So my senior year, I was back in there with the major college football. Um, so that was really blessing. And um, ended up having – we played against University of Houston first game and psh, had an amazing game. Ended up having, like, I think 130 yards and, like, three touchdowns all in the first half. Messed around and <laughs> tore my quad third quarter. So ended up missing the rest of that game. But, um, but yeah, I was, I was on track for a pretty monstrous game that day. All right, everybody. Sorry about that. Uh, our uh, in-house mascot, uh, Gizmo, actually stepped on the power button and uh, disconnected uh, the power from the computer. Uh, we've got uh, Marcus calling back. In. Oh, there he is. I think yep, we've got him. Yep, Marcus, got him you can here. hear us? Yep, yep. All right. And so sorry about that. Well, you uh, know, and you named uh, him Gizmo for a reason because he can hit the, the, <laughs> right. the gizmos on anything here. And, and now he's now he's sitting perched like like, <laughs> yeah. like like a lion. He's like, oh, I did my due due diligence he's duty. Staring at me right I, now. I, I messed up the show. Right, so, right. Um, so I'm so sorry for cutting you off there, Marcus. Um, I knew we were we were right in the middle of the rehab process yeah. with the Achilles. You're and, you're, but you're telling us what you uh, used to bench when you got to Texas State, and then you you're hitting it right ball. on the head. You know. Uh, what you got up to? Why you know your your, your teammates are practicing? You were in the weight room, just you know c- crushing it to get ready for next year. 
Yeah, for sure. And um, so, yeah, so I was just like, uh, let me just use this time instead of soaking and instead of just watching everybody else play, which will get boring and I'll start getting jealous. <laughs> um, let me uh, just, like I said, just use this extra time to get a leg up on everybody while they're beating their bodies up, um, wearing down with the wear and tear throughout the season. I could be building my up in the weight room um, so that when the off season does come, I'm already in shape. I'm already a lot closer to the goals I need to be at compared to where they'll be trying to start at day one when I'm already three months into it. Um, you guys know working out, if you start your first day at working out and you ain't worked out in a while, you're going to be hurting compared to <laughs> three, four months down the line, you know? So I was just like, man, if I can get that leg up, then I'm definitely going to use that to my advantage. Um, so I did that, and like I'm not sure if you heard this part, but uh, um, so that season didn't necessarily go the way the school wanted so they ended up letting that whole coaching staff go um and then they ended up bringing in a new coach and his name was Dennis Franchoni he used to coach at TCU uh he coached with Damian Tomlinson uh he coached Brian Erlacher at New Mexico State uh or at New Mexico University of New Mexico um he also coached at Alabama um so mm-hmm. he and his staff they came to Texas State um uh, and it was a really blessing for me just because of the fact that um when he um, came there, he said that he wanted his guys, all 22 starters, 11 on offense, 11 on defense, you had to be a 400-pound bencher and a 600-pound squatter. Um, that was the only way he was going to start. So that was a benefit for me because I had three months of training already on my own, so I was a lot closer to hitting that mark compared to the guys I was in competition with. Um, I think starting off, like when I got to Texas State, I might have been benching like maybe like 250 or something like that. Um, but then that span, I went from 250 to on bench, my max was 455, and they oh, stopped. Oh damn! I, I wow. Yeah, I could have kept. I could have kept going more, but they were like, "We seen enough. Don't, no risk. No worry about <laughs> risking injury. Like, just stop. You're good. 455. That's a good weight." And I was like, all right, cool. So I'm good. He's like, you're good. <laughs> and then on squat, they stopped me at 650. I thought I could have went higher than 650. But, um, yeah, so – and I was coming off of an injury, you know. With an so Achilles? I would have been scared, yeah. man. That would have been like – And you're right. pop. You're 5'11", right? Correct? Yep, I'm 5'11". Mm-hmm. Man, and you must have been built time, like a like, brick house. <laughs> <laughs> nah, seriously. Well, you can do uh, – you can go to our website at the Sports Offensive and you can see the pictures yeah. uh, of Marcus from when he was playing for both <laughs> Navy and Texas State, so. Yeah, yeah. And um, at that time, um, I was only like maybe like 210, so 210 pounds, benching 450, um, squatting 650, and then I think my power clean was like 370 or something like that, and uh, my uh, front bench was like 410. Like I was, I was super strong at that time. Just to, I knew I had to be if I was gonna like one get on the field, beat out the competition, and also make the next level. So I was just doing everything. I, I guess I had that mama mentality <laughs> at that time. RIP <laughs> Kobe, you know, craziness. But um, I had that mentality like nothing's gonna hold me back. I'm gonna make everything work out the way it's supposed to, and it's not gonna be because of what I didn't do. Um, that's gonna hold me back if that makes sense. Like, and then it worked out. Um, like I said, it was a blessing in disguise. We had those new coaches, and then another blessing was um, since the year that I missed, I basically had a, like an injury redshirt year. Uh, and then so I got an extra year at Texas State, and then my senior year, my last year there, um, Texas State actually moved up from FCS or 1AA to now FBS, 1A, the big boy, major major football. Um, 
just because of the new realignment and conferences. And so we ended up joining the WAC conference at the time. It's no longer available now. Um, I think the WAC went away. But at that time, the mm-hmm. WAC conference yeah. was still uh, active. And then so Texas State moved into the WAC conference. And um, our first game, I remember we played against uh, University of Houston. And I went off that game. I think I had like 130 yards and three touchdowns uh, in just the first half. <laughs> and then um, – I, had, I was on pace for a monster game, but then messed around and tore my quad third quarter and ended up missing the rest of that game. So it was kind of devastating. We ended up winning. I think we beat them like 21 or 24 to 7 or something like that. Um, and that was the first FBS win for Texas State. So in our first FBS game, we beat U of H for the, for the first FBS win, and that was the year after Case Keenum left um, to the yeah. NFL. They had came off yeah. like a 13-0 season, so they thought we were like, I think we were 40 or 50 point underdogs. So we were a little one double A school at the time going into to big one A school and we're going against U of H who just beat up on Penn State in the bowl game a few months ago and then we go into Houston and beat them like I think it was like 24 or 26 to 7. Like it was just so unexpected. It was so unexpected. Um I was fortunate too because uh that game I ended up making ESPN top 10 plays on I had like a 73-yard touchdown run where I broke, and um, it made the highest I think it got was number six on top ten plays. Um, so that was pretty cool. And then after that game, the coach, the offensive coordinator for U of H, he quit. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> right after we beat them, he quit the next day. I've never seen <laughs> that happen before. That was crazy. That, that is pretty so crazy. crazy, I have to admit. <laughs> so uh, hopefully I answered the question on that one. <laughs> I think it's still connected. I th- yeah, I think you're still in. We uh, wouldn't be able to hear Marcus if we weren't. Yeah. In. Okay. So yeah, we're still in. Sorry, I was Sorry, right. to open up these notes and yeah, yeah. I gotta, I need to get like, I need to get two different computers. I just need to get one that's just like cordoned off <laughs> into you're, a box. You're, 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 you're toying around with two screens over there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I, we need to. I was gonna say, jump ahead a little bit because we are getting kind of a time crunch here. I do want to cover a couple of other yeah, things yeah. Um, outside of this, but uh, you know, you had talked about how you know you had you know you love to be in the drum line, and uh, by the way, the name of that movie is Whiplash. Whiplash. Okay. Um, and uh, but you know, okay. I know when you were in re- when you were rehabbing that you kind of uh, you all, you kind of got back into music or, or or were able to put a little bit of focus on music, and I kind of wanted to move that direction because I mean you know there's more to you than the football. Um, yeah, you, you talked about how you know you basically got started into all of it um, working with uh, Javon Doe, and you got him eventually. Yeah, Javon, you worked with Javon him to get him Doe. signed to Atlanta mm-hmm. Cricket, Javon Doe. So mm-hmm. you know, kind of take us through kind of what that transition was in terms of, I mean, I, and I know we're kind of glossing over you're not going to the NFL, but um, I, I we, so that the listeners can know, I mean, you, you had some injuries pile up when you went to the combines, yeah. and, and that kind of mm-hmm. derailed that process. Is that is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Long story short, on that, I basically tore my quad. That same quad I tore uh, that I tore uh, against U of H in the first game. I ended up re-tearing it on pro day. Mm-hmm. That kind of held me back from uh, being able to pursue that opportunity in the NFL. Then I definitely kept trying. I got invited to the Combine next year, um, had dinner with the Ravens and the um, Dolphins the night before just to re-tear the same quad again at the Combine. And then oh. tore it again. Like, it was just so much craziness that was holding me back. So, yeah, so I ended up deciding just to make that transition. Uh, I felt like I le- learned what I needed to learn. Uh, God brought me the, down the path of football, so I had my college taken care of. I didn't have to necessarily worry about that anymore. Um, but 
I was supposed to become a leader, learn all the traits, the competitive nature, the hard work, perseverance, and all that. Now transition to the next stage of life. And, uh, yeah, I was working with uh, one of my guys. His name was Javon Doe. Um, I actually met him when I was at Texas State through my barber. <laughs> oh, it was pretty crazy. I, every time I would go get a haircut, he's like, man, like, my, my guy, my friend, he can really rap. And I'm sure you guys heard that before. Like, oh, yeah, somebody knows a guy that can really rap. Okay, everybody can rap right. And, like, literally, like, probably 20 times in a row I'd go there and he would just always hype this guy up. And he was just like, man, well, one of these times he's going to come, because he was in Houston um, in schools in San Marcos. He's like, one of these times he's going to come and uh, I'm going to just bring him over and we're going to just stop by our studio. We're just going to, we're going to press play. And then, so he did that one time and just the music that I heard from this guy, I was like, man, I was like, how are you not already super famous? Like this doesn't even make sense. (laughs) And basically, Nobody even heard of the guy at the time. And so I was like, man, uh, since I had all these injuries and I kind of felt like football was at a stalemate in a way, but I, like you said, I had that passion for music. So I was like, man, let me just give everything I have on this and let's let's roll with it. So me and him, we put a project together. It was called Golden Raps. We went to the studio every day for, I think it was like three months, um, driving from Austin to San Marcos. Um, that's about like a 45-minute drive, so about an hour 30 there and back. Every day, all the gas, all the stuff I put into it, put this project together, um, and then uh, we sent it over to uh, uh, A&R. His name was Sean Barron at Atlantic Records, and then Sean, he loved it, loved everything he heard, flew my guy out there, and then next thing you know, uh, they signed him to Atlantic Records. And uh, just for that whole thing for us to know that all the time, sacrifice, the money, like I went super broke putting that project together. <laughs> uh, like Seriously, it was it was intense. Um, but to see it pay off and see my guy get signed and open up the floodgates for me as well, just being able to be in the studio with, like, Ty Dollar Sign and Chris Brown and uh, just seeing how things are done at, like, a major level was just, just man, it was – it felt like I made it to the NFL but in music. <laughs> right. I mean, and there's – and, you know, it, you never know how much of a blessing it might have been because how many people are dealing with CTE? They're dealing with, you know, right. just horrific – long-term chronic problems we have a a, a radio mm-hmm. host out here that we're a big fan of they call him stink uh mark schlereth yep. uh played for uh, our back-to-back champions back in 97 and 98 and he talked mm-hmm. about how there was a point where he couldn't even like do he couldn't go golfing he couldn't lift he couldn't go fishing anything because of how bad his back hurt thankfully they've you know the yeah. stem cell technology came along and some of the processes but you know you kind of think like maybe Maybe you just you might have just sidestepped a, a lot a lot of lifetime pain by actually not yeah. getting to where you're gonna start getting hit every day, you know. Right. I mean, I mean, look at look at Earl Campbell. You know, like he can't even just walk straight, like or sit straight. Like it's a lot of stuff that's going on, and um, like you said, the CTE. I mean, rest in peace, Junior Seau, and some of the other guys. Yep. You know, like yep. you just never know what you could be getting into. So who knows? What yeah. Could be prevent- yeah, I mean, look at Jim McMahon. I love the 30 for 30. I think it was on Jim McMahon where, you know, um, <clears throat> you know, he has the GPS sat in his car to get him home where he sometimes doesn't remember right. even how to get home. Yeah, that's wow. that's a crazy thought. That's just yeah, that's just crazy. Um, so, you know, you attended the Creative Music Academy at Westlake Studios. How did you end up getting in touch with them? And then how did you get into the program? Yeah, so um, from my guy being signed with Atlantic, uh, I felt like I wanted to go visit them a lot cause, um, just because I was a whole part of the whole operation. Um, but I didn't want to 
just I guess rely on only on him. Like I felt like okay, I help facilitate that opportunity, but let me also see what else I can do. Um, so I actually attended an ASCAP Expo um, in 2016. And what that is, like a really big music conference where a lot of uh, top creators, they pretty much educate people that are also wanting to increase their skill set with just learning the music business, learning management, learning how royalties work, um, and just learning new techniques to make better music. Uh, So it's a really huge conference that happens in like April, May. So I actually went to attend that, and Westlake, um, they happened to have a booth at the um, conference. And it's kind of crazy because um, they had a booth right by the check-in. And I remember I talked to one of the guys, and he was like, hey, uh, you should come check out our booth. Uh, we'd love to talk to you about our uh, studio. We're having a class for producers to help you guys become better producers. And I was like, all right, yeah, yeah, no, that sounds pretty cool and all. Um, but I think I'm going to just check in. I'm going to check out some other stuff. <laughs> so I kind of, like, blew it off in a way. Um, and then I went in line, and then, you know, you just have, like, that gut feeling that kind of tells you you need to do something or you might regret it. <laughs> and right. I felt like I had gut feeling on this one. Um, so I decided to go back to that booth, and I talked to the guy, and he asked to hear one of my songs at the time. And I pressed play on one of the songs, and the guy really loved the music. And it was just the feedback that he was giving me was just next level. Like he was just talking about, like, man, I really love this song, but I feel like on this area, the snare has a little bit too much reverb over the lead vocal. And if you were to put a, a high EQ to take out the highs, um, then it would just make the vocals pop a little bit more and maybe put, like, a filter on a hi-hat right here. And just, like, the terminology that he was using, I never heard any of that before. And I was like, man, this guy is talking some next level uh, music terminology, his ear is on like where I need to be. So just from his own terminology, just from the expertise, just on the feedback from one of my songs, I was like, okay, if I were to attend this school, then I know for facts that I'll be at where I need to be and uh, at least know everything I need to know to uh, help myself in my career. So I uh, ended up attending um, later that year, a couple months later, uh, Create. And um, that's where I was able to learn just even more on music production, learn about arranging, uh, learned uh, how to properly make the right melodies. I learned how to record sessions, I learned how to mix and master vocals, and just pretty much I learned at that school how to start a song and finish a song to where you can put it out and it's going to compete with Rihanna, it's going to compete with Drake, it's going to compete with Chris Brown at that master major level. So, um, yeah, I was super fortunate. And it uh, definitely helped me till today. And one of these days we'll figure out how to get Marcus to make us a theme song. And, there you uh, go. And then we'll, <laughs> I mean, we can, uh, we can, we can make that happen. Oh, there, there's there are no questions about that. Um, you know, I tell you what, if I were in your position, my whole life goal would be to meet either Nicki Minaj or Ariana Grande. You're going to say Ariana Grande, man. Oh, dude, I would. Oh man, she'd be just. She's my yeah. dream, man. Oh my god, <laughs> just. Crazy. Oh, down boy, down yeah. boy, come oh, on, dude. Now I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be on fire all show now. <laughs> yeah, dude, I can't, man. But I mean, ever since I saw Nicki Minaj in, uh, was it Barbershop Three? I think was the one that she was in, or the, at least yeah. the first one she was in. And that mm-hmm. woman's skin is perfect. I like Ariana, man. Oh, yeah, well, <laughs> she, she's, she's that girl's got legs that are just oh, incredible. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> anyway, I'm sure we, I'm sure we pissed off enough of the female <laughs> listeners here. <laughs> if, if we have any, um, 
So, uh, you know, like I said, we're, we're down to a half an hour here, so I'd like to jump to yeah. some other things. Let's so just, uh, let's, let's just, do it. just make sure we get this in. So, Marcus, so that we don't uh, taint your, uh, your thought process, give me mm-hmm. your gut prediction for the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, honestly, my instincts are to just say that defense wins championships. So, I'm going to say, based on history, the 49ers are probably going to win. However, I would like for the Chiefs to win. One, for Andy Reid. I feel like he deserves one finally. Two, for Mahomes. It's going to solidify him as being the next face of the NFL. Um, So I really hope that the Chiefs pull it off. But, like I said, a good defense normally always beats a good offense. So I'm going to say it's probably going to be the 49ers 29-20. But I feel like it's going to be a good game. I like that prediction, and you know, the the Niners, how crazy is it to think that they had a good squad put together, Garoppolo goes down, they end up losing all those games, they get a super high draft pick, they pick up Bosa mm-hmm. to pair with the other two guys they bring in on the uh, on the defensive line, they go from... Three and 13. Yeah, to <laughs> just an unbelievable team. Now, I mean, I'm still smarting that we don't have them playing the Ravens, because I thought that would have been, even though that would have been a replay of the Super Bowl from a few years ago, it's a completely different team. Right. Uh, um, or, or to players on the teams, um, and, and it'd be yeah. fun to see. But, uh, you know, they, they do say defense wins championships, and we've seen that a lot in the Super Bowl. We just, a lot of times, you just see that that team that holds on, you know, is the one that wins. But sometimes it ends up being right. just a back and forth and whoever has the last possession. So, uh, overall, I'd have to say uh, I'm going to go with – I'm going to go with my heart and maybe not my brain – and I'm going to go with the Niners winning it, but I think it's going to be a little bit lower. I think it's going to be twenty four seventeen. So you want you want my okay. prediction right now before Ab- we talk? Oh, about? absolutely. Okay. All right. Well, here, here's what I here's what I look at. You know, just uh, basically breaking down the game real quick. Um, when you look at the 49ers in the season that they had, far and above, they are awesome this year. Uh, that defense is incredible. They don't blitz on first and second down. They blitz on third down. Mm-hmm. Patrick Mahomes can kill you on first and second down and get you yeah. not even into a third down. Um, I look at three games that the Niners played this year that they had trouble with. They played the Saints, high, the, one of the high-scoring mm-hmm. regular season. It might have been the high-scoring regular season game ever, right. where the Saints lost. Uh, <laughs> it was uh, what was a forty-eight, forty-four, um, and the, yeah. the two games against the Seahawks. Now you yeah. now you look at those three offenses. You look at Russell Wilson, and you look at the Saints offense. Now you put together Mahomes, all three of his wide receivers that can run twenty-one miles an hour plus. Now the the San mm-hmm. Francisco running backs all can run 20 mile, mile an hour plus. I think what you're going to see is uh, the, the Kansas City offensive line getting their crack blocks on the corner, and then with mm-hmm. the stunts in the middle on the defensive line, I, if, if, they, if they can pick up that stunt, you're going to give Mahomes either an inside run or if you, they try to go a stunt from the outside, he's going to get an outside run. And we all know what Patrick Mahomes, he has a cannon. He can – he can yeah. literally roll out and flick his wrist and throw the ball 70 yards. Right. And with the speed of those receivers mm-hmm. in San Francisco's drop three that they're going to play and the linebackers in yep. the middle, Kelsey, he's going to get lost somewhere. Tyreek Hill, even though Richard Sherman's going to be on him, that guy can mm-hmm. run pure speed. Once, okay. once Mahomes starts scrambling around, I mean, as a DB, it's hard to keep with someone when you're just making up a play and they're not running a route. Right, they're playing backyard for, football. They're, they're looking for open space, which is a three deep. When you when they play a three deep, you know, cover three deep, 
um, you're going to have open open zones where you're sure. going to hit somebody. Sure. So, and the fact that they don't like to rush the pass, they don't blitz. They 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 like to get there with a front four on defense. Mm-hmm. Um, right. The fact that uh, that's a you know on third down they they try to blitz. I like the Chiefs in this game, and I'm rooting for Andy Reid, my ex Eagles coach. Did so much for the city. Got my Eagles hat on right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm going thirty. <laughs> 38-31 Chiefs in a thriller of a game. Yeah, that's, that's very plausible. Very, very plausible. Mine's more okay. just I don't want the I just don't want the Chiefs. You don't want the Chiefs, bro. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we actually have another caller. Yeah, I'm going to bring him on real caller. quick, so yeah. hold on. Hello, caller. Uh, Hello. What's your name and where are you calling from? Hey, how's it going? Uh, this is JP's old buddy, Curtis, from Salisbury, oh. calling from Salisbury, Maryland. Hey, how's it going, man? All right, yourself. I am very good, man. Thanks for calling in. What 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 kind of questions do you have today here? Well, uh, it was a good interview with uh, Curry there. That was interesting. I just wanted to give a call with uh, my Super Bowl pick. Yeah, let's from, hear it. Uh, my my fan, my in laws are Chiefs fans, um, so I've been watching them a lot throughout the last couple of years. In fact, I went out there once for a game, and that's like the Closest to a college atmosphere for NFL that you could get. I've heard that. Yep. And uh, and uh, I think I'm thinking Chiefs 37-28. I think Tyreek Hill's going to have a big game. You're going to see. I think one of those. You're going to see like a five-yard slant turn into an 85-yard touchdown. <laughs> I, I think <laughs> with those, because that's what I'm thinking is going to happen. Kelsey's there's no doubt be that there. If, if if the Chiefs get on a roll, yeah, then it, it can get out of hand real quick. And we I mean, what, was, what did they score? 28 points in the second quarter after being down 24 nothing to the Texans. I mean, yeah, uh, it, they, they've shown then, two games in a row that being behind is not something that even. And, and here, here's them. a good here's a good stat that uh, I I didn't even put it in the notes. Um, Jimmy G and Mahomes are both seven and one. Um, playing from behind. Wow. So they only lost wow. the game. I believe that the game Jimmy G lost was to Seattle the first time. And then uh, mm-hmm. I think Mahomes lost to, uh, I believe it was, uh, it was Tennessee because they were behind at Tennessee, came back, and then right, they lost. Right. I remember right off the top of my head. Yep. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it comes down to the scheming, right? I mean, this is the Super Bowl is where the scheming matters, is where the coaching uh, makes more of a difference than in any other game of the year. Uh, it's just you have to oh, – they, they talk about, like, the hardest thing in sports, they always say, is to hit a ball with a bat, right? And they said, well, no, the hardest thing in sports to do is to go into the Super Bowl locker room at halftime and say, guys, we've got to change what we've been doing all year because it no longer works. And that was the Rams last year, right? Yeah. I mean, they couldn't they couldn't make that adjustment. Exactly. And, uh, and then they saw how it, it turned out. Um, before we uh, – you know, we're going to jump real quick over to uh, the Kobe Bryant craziness yeah. that happened. Actually, let's thank Eric um, for calling in here, yeah, absolutely, yeah, Eric. We Eric, do appreciate you. Thank you for the uh, Super Bowl prediction, man, Curtis. Yeah. I know his full name. <laughs> oh, <laughs> All right, you guys have a good one. You, you too, too, man. Right, enjoy, enjoy the game. <laughs> All right, thanks. So I, know I, I grew I grew up uh, he grew up in the the next town over in Nazareth and I was right on the border of Penarjal, Nazareth, and Easton. So I I knew him through a friend. Nazareth <laughs> High School. Is the name of the <laughs> yeah. is the name of the city though? Yeah, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Oh, wild. Okay, it, that's a biblical city, isn't it? Uh, well, we have Nazareth and Bethlehem, which is right oh, next to it. Well, all right, <laughs> there you go. So I guess you got the Puritans settle in there, huh? All right. 
um, so you know, with Kobe, I mean, uh, uh, you know, horrific thing, and very. Um, the, the thing I wanted to do before anything else is, you know, I, I feel like, uh, you know, it's America, and so in America, obviously, celebrity rules, right? And that's why uh, there was so much time. Um, oh, hello, Marcus. Do we do I we have we you? Just, I think Marcus. We just. I, I think we lost him. But yeah. I, all right, well, I'll, Marcus, I'll call my, back in here if, if you can. I'll, I'll keep my eye open. Um, and uh, so, but what I wanted to go over with Kobe is that uh, uh, there, you know, there were nine people in that chopper, yeah. and it's not his fault, of course, that everybody's no, no, no. focusing just on him and his daughter. Um, and, and I'm not saying that, that no one else has uh, ha- has has said who else was in that chopper, but I, I just think that's really important that we recognize that there's a lot of people that were on there and, with and, him. And uh, the, the Lakers did a really good job last night in their tribute of mentioning all the names of everyone that were, was in there. Cause I did, I actually got home in time to watch the tribute. Nice. I didn't have a chance to see yeah. the, that first Lakers game back. Um, so there was of course his daughter, Gianna, yep. who was playing in that tournament. Or, and she or was, league. she already admit, uh, or, or she was, she already um, committed to the University of UConn. Um, so UConn actually did something special. They put uh, one of her jerseys on the bench and Kobe's jerseys on their bench for one of the games, too. And, and they did that last night at Staples Center. And so also there was a, a John uh, Alto out belly so he was a baseball coach and his wife and daughter were there i'm assuming his daughter must have played on that team yeah with them there was christina mauser who was the yep. assistant basketball cho- coach at harbor day school and she was an assistant coach at his uh academy the, the mamba sports academy yeah for doing really good things for, for young women and men and he was a bitch he was a big he was a big fan of hers yeah. and then uh there's a Era Zaboyan or Zabayan? Zabayan. So that was the the chopper pilot. Yep. And from what I've heard or read, uh, Kobe wouldn't go with any other pilot. So no, no, no. This is obviously was an experienced pilot. Yeah. He had a lot Kyrie of trust. Kyrie Irving in. actually came out and said that that guy was one of the best pilots in the world. Yeah, and and the and the chopper that he that he used was they called it a tank. They were like this thing doesn't go down on its own, and there's yeah. not that many people privately that are that are qualified to fly it. Right, right. So obviously something crazy he, happened. He was a top-notch pilot, and it was pea soup fog that they were flying through. And yeah. In fact, everyone was grounded that day, and except for them. They had him flying on visual rules, and uh, you know they say that he was following 105 or 101. I can't remember which, which highway it was. It was one, one of the ones. And he was following that, and then they said he veered off and started to suddenly you know, like go up, but then suddenly banked left and then went into a quick dive, and that's when they hit the side of the bill or the side of the of the terrain. Yeah. So I don't know if we'll ever know for sure what happened. It didn't have a warning system for proximity. No. It, it also did not have a black box. So they're going to have to try and piece it together. But I mean, the National Transportation Safety Board, you know, obviously they this is what they do, and so they probably will figure out more or less what happened. But. I don't think there was anything nefarious. I don't think that he was suicidal, anything crazy no, like no, that. No, 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 no. I think there was just, you know, I, I heard a tale about a guy who was training to uh, to fly. And Marcus, you might be able to tell us if this is if this is true in the Navy at all, if you knew anybody who was flying, that new pilots can sometimes um, not trust their instrumentation panels if they can't see well, like in cloud cover and things like that. And that sometimes they would come out of it almost in a completely inverted um, angle because they had just kept making tiny adjustments going through. Uh, Marcus, can you hear us? Yes, I can hear you. Oh, okay, you. perfect. Um, so, I mean, mm-hmm. now, that always seemed weird to me to say that you could be flying upside down and not realize it, because, you know, if you're wearing a necklace, it's going to be dangling. If you were wearing something on your head, right, it's going to, like, fall off, or you're going to feel the constraint, you would think. 
But I don't right. know. I said the number a number of people that come out of clouds in their first flight upside down is staggering. So, you know, I, I, I'm just thinking this guy made a small maybe something fl- maybe something flew right by them. Right? We don't know. Maybe it was like birds. That's the uh, thing. You know? we, we may never mm-hmm. know because of how thick the fog was. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, everyone yeah. was grounded that day. No one was allowed to fly. Right. Um, but they were mm-hmm. flying through it. They had clearance. Yeah, and then the that, other that's the other thing. The other pair that died was Sarah and Peyton Chester. Yeah. Uh, Peyton was another player on that uh, on Gianna's yeah. team, and that was her mother. And and this one hits me hard because yeah. Kobe grew up uh, in Ardmore. He went to Lower Marion, right outside of Philly. So mm-hmm. you know, Mark, I think I told you this story like three years ago. Um, first time I've ever listened to a Kobe Bryant interview. He was on a kid show, a teen sports show, which Howard Eskin at at hosted he was uh in the top left corner as like a 16 year old i must have been 19 because i'm 44 he's 41 um and he was just he just had a presence about him that was just already unworldly he knew how to act he knew how to do everything he just it, it was amazing just to to watch his progression from lower marion to he wanted to be a laker and the philly fans when he first came in the league they booed him vehemently and then, really? Oh, yeah, because mm. they wanted them in Philly. Oh, right. So, they drafted him, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah they yeah. wanted him. Mm-hmm. He wanted to be a Laker from the start. So he, he actually got drafted by oh, no, Charlotte. Oh, Charlotte. It was Charlotte. I think Toronto. it was Charlotte. Uh, so he gets to the Lakers. He wins all the championships. His final game in Philly, they were root, cheer, rooting for him, cheering for him like it was they were it was his own their own son. This is his so, dad. His dad played yeah. there, right? Jelly Bean, or is that what his name was? Jelly Bean Bryant? Uh, I forget, but you know, last night with the tribute, they had Boys the Men, uh, Philadelphia's own Boys the Men, sing the national anthem, so mm-hmm. on and so forth. And you know, it's just it's a sad day when you hear everyone in the sports world commenting about. You know, I never knew him, but you know, the people like I, I think LeBron talked to him that morning before he got on the helicopter, mm-hmm. uh, is what I heard. And uh, it, you just you hear the outpouring of in, the international outpouring. You know, you see the guy in the Australian Open wearing the Bryant jersey walking off the court. The the soccer fans holding up Kobe and Gianna signs in, in Europe and it's just it's it's heartbreaking to to lose someone like that and and you know to have his, his legacy is going to be the you know what what he did in the Mamba Academy that he set up and is his love for women's sports of getting you know getting them into the limelight and helping out like I said his daughter Gianna was already committed to UConn to play women's basketball right so. and she had desires to play in the W and is it MBL? WNBA. See, I thought it was WNBA, but it, it it didn't say that in the article. But where she was, where her her aspirations were. So I didn't know if they had changed the name last year or something. I don't believe it. Um, it might have been a typo. But uh, you know, I saw a little interview with Kobe, <laughs> and they were saying, you know, when you're gonna have a son, so you can have a guy that follows <laughs> in your footsteps. And he's like, I've already got someone following my footsteps. And exactly. He, you know, he was very supportive <laughs> of his daughters and what they were doing. Well, and, he would tell. I know you don't like Stephen A. Smith, but when he talked to Stephen A. Smith, <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> he he Stephen Stephen A. told this on Thursday uh, when he was in South Beach. He was in L. A. last night, and he's like. Kobe would tell him, he's like, dude, you have to come see my daughter play. She's going to be a superstar at UConn. She's only 13. Right. And, you know, it, and that's the that she was. She had that Mamba mentality. Well, and he did a very yeah. good job of transferring to the next stage of life, he, he right? Yeah. He was a superstar. He, he was known throughout the world, and he had won five championships. But then he didn't, like, you know, he didn't have that, oh, woe is me. It's over. I'm not ready to leave. It was like, okay, I'm done playing ball. And now I've been, mm-hmm. but I've been doing all these other things for a long time. I mean, the guy won an Academy Award. 
I mean, he, you know, he's already yeah. transitioning to music and movies and 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 film right. and and helping his daughters and his academies and and as much as I didn't like Kobe as a player, um, obviously I was very impressed by the the human being. Yeah. And I mean, he's a very like you said, he's a very worldly person. Mm-hmm. He had been a military brat, I believe, a little bit, and so they had had lived in other. Had he lived in he played over in Italy. Or is Italy that he had Italy. grown up in? He was fluent in three years. languages. So. Yeah. So I mean, and he and he, and he just had a lot of. Uh, uh, the best interview quote I saw, because obviously they replayed lots of things uh, over the week that I was uh, on my national sales meeting, right? And so was, that was what I watched in the morning and the evenings. And uh, was when he talked about, um, you know, being excellent at a sport doesn't necessarily matter, right? I mean, we enjoy sports, obviously. We love you and I and Marcus. We all love sports. Um, but I mean, they don't yeah. really matter in some ways. You know, you can say they don't really matter. They're an entertainment. But I love what he said. He's like, I try. I'm trying to be so excellent at at what I do that it inspires at least one person to try to be as excellent as possible in what they do. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a really mm-hmm. impressive way to view it. You know, it's like I'm not proud of myself for being a great basketball player. I'm proud of myself for being great at what I do. And if it helps inspire you to put in the effort to be great at what you do, you know, that's, exactly. that, that's a wonderful inspiration I, right. to have. Right. Um, Marcus, what was it kind of like for you to hear that noise? I mean, you kind of must have really grown up with Kobe. Yeah, I mean, it was just one of those things, uh, kind of like Shaq um, talk about it, where you just hear it and you don't even want to believe it. You're like, man, stop playing. Like, I'm not trying to hear that, especially to find out through social media and stuff like that. I just remember, like, when I heard that it was confirmed, I was like, what? Like, just my first thought is basketball legends, they don't die. Like, they live to old age. Look at Bill Russell. Like, yeah, look right. at all these people that are still here, Magic Johnson. Like, they grow old. You you see them in their older state um, compared to, like, Kobe. He's obviously a legend, and he's gone at 41. Like, wow. It was just, man, it was just, like, intense for me. Um, but – I guess I was able to get past it a little bit more. One, because I heard this one interview with uh, Tracy McGrady. And Tracy, I'm not sure if you guys saw that one too, but he said that he talked with Kobe back when they were playing, and he wanted this. He said Kobe wanted to um, win multiple championships, be better than Michael Jordan, and then die young. And then when I heard that, I was like, what? And he said that because he wanted to be immortalized um, to where he could last forever for sure. And then so now – I mean, in a way, it's definitely kind of messed up and devastating to us as fans and um, uh, supporters of his work and what he's done to not only just basketball but just the culture. Um, it's tough for us, but if that is the way he wanted to go out, then I can only applaud <laughs> his life here on earth and what he was able to do in just 41 years. Cause like he said, he was transitioning to the next day, just won an Academy Award, and uh, he's going to be the best girl dad ever <laughs> on helping right. all his daughters reach pinnacle um so for him to not to be here anymore it's just like man it's devastating for us as supporters and um people that we look up to him but if that's really how he wanted to go then all i can do is just send my praises and hopefully everything is working out for the family um and yeah it's just it's just a tough loss for everybody yeah just brutal like you said i mean just and and, and it's, it's too bad that it kind of takes celebrities for a lot of people to kind of be like you know oh you really got to like, you know, reassess and, and, and re, you know, like make sure that you're telling the people that you love, that you love them and things like that. And, and yeah. it, it's, it's too bad that it takes something like, 
why why does it need to be a celebrity to die to remind people of that? But I think because again, right. it's just I think it's an American thing. I think in this country more than any other in the world, it's you know we. I think that we applaud greatness. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just, it's just, it's just a different mindset of any other country, and there are positives and negatives that come out of it. But we do, mm-hmm. we, we, we cherish excellence. We, we want to see exceptional people doing things exceptionally, and even if that means there's a thousand duds, if the thousand and one does it great, then we're happy with all a thousand and one of them because we wanted to see the greatness and. You know, it, it you see it all over the place in the sports world. You know, like looking the other way with steroids in baseball because we wanted to see the long ball. You know, um, ter- making de- making life incredibly hard on defensive players in football because we want to see we want to see the points. Uh, making allowing basketball players to take twelve steps on a dribble. Uh, you know, and getting rid of double dribble uh, so that or traveling so that we can so that we can see awesome dunks. I mean, we 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 want to see what's great, and you know, hopefully his final gesture to the world, I, you know, will be to, you know, be a little more aware uh, of, of how quickly uh, it can all end and don't wait for tomorrow to try and get what you want and try and go get it now, you know, kind of right. like with Marcus and then making his decisions, right. You you made your decisions on, <laughs> yeah. you know what, I want to try and do this. Okay. Well, I want to try and do this and I want to try and do this. You can't do that. If you just say, well, I hope it happens. You know, you have to make right. it, you have to do something. You have to take that risk. Uh, again, that's just, I think that's an American thing. You take the risk to see what you can do. And if it doesn't work out, you take another risk and see what you can do. Uh, why play it safe, right? Because then, then life right. is just going to be boring. Yep. So um, I wanted to check here and see because we're down to uh, only uh, a few minutes yeah, here. we got eight more minutes um, on the show. Draft time, mm-hmm. uh, just wild speculation. So is, is there any chance the Bengals don't take the LSU product? Well, I, I think they have to. If not, they're going to take uh, yeah. they're going to take the freak on Ohio State, uh, uh, Chase Young, the uh, the defensive end. Who um, looks amazing. He does look amazing. Generation. Um, <laughs> they're, they're both generation. You got to remember, Joe Burrow is older than Lamar Jackson right now. Right. You know, he's had his. But he broke the record for most touchdowns ever, right? In a uh, single season. SEC record. Oh, SEC so. record. Yeah, yeah, the SEC record SEC. for most. Okay. Time. Yeah, not the. I uh, I think uh, somebody. Uh, I think somebody I forget who owns the record for most touchdowns in the season. It might be somebody from Houston. No, it might be somebody from Houston. Um, But, but yeah, uh, Joe Burrow should go to the Bengals. They do need to replace um, the red rocket uh, over there. Mm -hmm. Um, So Burrows would be the obvious pick. So, and Chase Young would be the obvious second pick in this draft because he is a freak. See, I just, I, I would, I would, I know they need a quarterback. Yeah. But you know what? They've got AJ McCarron, right? So uh, I would keep him for one more season or whoever that backup was they had from last right. year. Um, you know, I know that you, I know I know a court, without a quarterback you're going nowhere, but they're not right. going anywhere. That guy, and I I don't remember his name, but the DE, uh, that guy is generational talent. I oh, mean, yeah, everything yeah. I have heard is that he's like Von Miller as a DN kind of thing. Yes. I mean, he will change he, the face of your franchise. I'm a Penn Stater, and, and and at the end of that game, he single handedly stop Penn State to, to try to, to, to tie the score. Yeah, I, I just you take you take the epic player. I, yeah. I just I will always believe that. In fact, as a GM, I would rarely ever take anything but an offensive or defensive lineman with my first round picks because if I own the trenches, I own the game. Well, now you have to remember with Joe Burrow too. Joe Burrow, not this past year, the year before. <laughs> didn't have impressive numbers it's not to right. uh not till um joe brady who was on the Saints staff 
came to be the um, uh, the passing coordinator at LSU that he put up all these huge numbers. Now Joe Brady has gone on to another school, and LSU has now lost their defensive coordinator too, and they're probably going to have about 16 players go in the draft this year, including Randy Moss's son, um, Thaddeus Moss. No as kidding. a tight end, yeah. How's so he that's doing interesting. Now? He's a really good tight end. Big kid. He's big. He's oh, big, yeah. built way bigger than his dad. Really? You know, Randy's a string bait. Right. Yeah, but tall, right. fast string bait. <laughs> right. This kid's a, this kid's built. Um, and I've heard from the Broncos. I hear a lot of talk about them taking a wide receiver to put someone that uh, basically to get a speedster and mm-hmm. let Cortland Sutton well, continue to mature. Well, I'm going to tell you, San Fran did the steal, steal the whole year by getting Emmanuel Sanders on that team. That right. really opened up a, right. a lot of doors for those guys. So, Absolutely. but uh, you know, I you know, you, like you said, I, now the Eagles are looking at wide receivers and corner cornerbacks is really what they're looking at in this draft. And you know, they're looking at the, one of the LSU cornerbacks in Alabama cornerback. And there's a bunch of good wide receivers in this. Uh, there's how the the when I say DB, uh, the kid from Alabama, um, ETN at running back, yeah, staying at Clemson. Um, with Trevor Lawrence, yep. Trevor Lawrence can't come out until next year. Um, he's, which he'll, too, he's too young. Yeah, he's too young. But ETN's going back for a senior season, so hmm. that's why Clemson's wow. is lo- Clemson's going to be loaded. And they're the they're preseason number one right now. Oh, over, oh, over already Ohio back State. in yeah. already over back Ohio in. State. So. Uh, <laughs> like go for go for what fourth year in a row in the title uh, game or, or whatever it, it is. It, yeah, they've been there three years in a row. Yeah, that's that's, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> um, real quick, uh, we've only got like three minutes here. Uh, Antonio Brown. Boy, what happened? Well, to he that came guy? out and apologized. He said he oh, the the sports line this morning when I was reading it at about five o'clock a.m. Um, was saying that he owes the NFL and a huge apology. Uh, he punched the driver of the the moving van company and the guy that was with him. And uh, there but, was I mean, a warrant, and he charged, got released. If he was charged, convicted, I mean, like he could serve. No, they they. I, I, I don't think, think he will. I think but... everything got dropped. He probably paid him off, dropped the charges. But he he, <laughs> he, he he's now saying he. <laughs> I think he saw the video from the, everybody else's standpoint. He says he owes everyone in the NFL an apology for his annex the last year and a half this morning. Yeah, but just what a fall from grace. Oh, it's, it's, it is. An amazing player. Probably the best wide receiver in the league. Oh, yeah. At least you know, for three years. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's just, it's just, it, it, it's too bad. I mean, it's, it, it's a lot like, I mean, so that, that's really disappointing when someone just kind of blows up like that. But then you hope he's young enough and healthy enough that he can get back on track yeah. and, and, and sign somewhere next year. Uh, you know, he's paid his dues this year, obviously. And, yeah. in, in, in t- I mean, he's lost all, probably every sponsorship he ever had, oh, gotcha. every endorsement. <laughs> I'm sure he's got plenty of money, but uh, you know, it's not easy to lose, you know, millions of dollars in endorsements and things. Um, but it makes you kind of think about, like, I used to not like Barry Bonds. Uh, now, of course I'm a Dodger fan, so that helped, but I didn't like Barry Bonds <laughs> as a person a lot because he acted like it was a burden to be great. Yeah, he did. I'll agree with you on that. You know, and 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 he was pretty good to Giants fans, but he wasn't good to baseball fans, you no. know, in totality. No. And uh, uh, I just always thought, you know, if you get such a gift, you know, use your gift correctly. You know, you, you be 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 happy with what you've got. Yeah. Uh, you can have a chip on your shoulder. That's fine. Tom Brady's turned that into a an absolute mm-hmm. goat career by exactly. having a chip on his shoulder. But like to uh, mention one of the hottest wives you're ever going to see, Giselle. <laughs> right. Like, like poor Tom, world's greatest American. You know, he's got, every, he got everything going for him. So, um, well, Marcus, so we just have a couple of minutes here before we're going to be signing off. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience or, or talk about? 
Yeah, I mean, um, I'm just really just grateful for the opportunity to uh, kind of share my spill, uh, my story, and really um, just my whole message is like, one, just realize that no matter what, everything happens for a reason. And even though we may not understand what's going on at that current time of what's the occasion or whatnot, but down the line, we're going to realize the reasons why things transpired the way they do. Um, and more times than not, it really inspires to help us be the best that we can be in wherever our journey is going. So really just have that perseverance and that faith just continue to go and push through no matter how crazy, no matter how cloudy uh, things may be looking at that time, uh, to really just believe that wherever you're going is going to happen. You just got to trust it and do everything you can to make it happen, and then things are always going to work out. So really just kind of just put my, my last notes on something positive. Uh, law of attraction is real, and once you can learn how to uh, harness it, man, the sky's the limit. Excellent, excellent. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Marcus. We really do appreciate it. Um, JP, any final thoughts for uh, Super Bowl weekend or for Marcus? Uh, uh, Marcus, thanks for coming on the show, man. It was a great interview for Super Bowl weekend. You know, um, look for a really good game. I, you're not going to get the game like last oh, yeah. year. I think no. you're going to have a great game this. <laughs> and I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to just the great, great weekend of sports. So. Yep, this this should be this should be a good one. So everyone out there, remember to take Uber. Don't drive drunk. Don't end the uh, Super Bowl on a bad note. Thanks so much for tuning into the show, and uh, we'll see you a little bit down the road. Thanks so much. Offensive. Out. Right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, JP. Have a good one. You too. You too.